This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! My name is Brian Common. I am your host today. Missing, you might have noticed, is Elon Dabrowski, who is on a well-deserved vacation, enjoying uh, all the wonderful fruits that vacation generally offers. Fruits and pizzas and beers, I'm sure. Uh, so he's not with us today, but we do have some wonderful guests here with us. We've got the average time on ice crew, or at least two thirds. Maybe we'll have the full set by the end of the show. Uh, and we've got Marcus here, who's a, a really, well, I'm going to introduce them all in a sec. But first, how about we just mention quickly that this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, like all of them, is presented by DauberHockey.com. Dauber Hockey is your source for all fantasy news. It's the place you want to go if you're wondering what line someone's playing on during a game. If someone's hot, if someone's low, uh, cold, if you want to buy high, oh no, you don't want to buy high on anyone. If you want to buy low, sell high, all kinds of tools and daily ramblings over at DauberHockey.com. If you're not there, you're not even trying. So uh, go check them out. Today's episode of the show is uh, not just because Elon's not here, but we had a we have a different different plan. It's not going to be your usual keeping Carlson episode uh, this time around. We're going to take a bit of like a holiday pause to look back at the year that's been so far. Also take stock on what's happening in the Cupful. If you don't know what the Cupful is, it's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. It is the most competitive, most intense, most fun. Uh, most amazing, I'm biased, obviously, fantasy league in the world. Like, there's multiple tiers. If you don't know what it is, if you've never heard of it before, which would be weird by now, uh, keepingcarlson.com slash KKUPFL to see the full set of rules. And there's links to every division that you can go check out and say, oh, like, what's happening in the cookupful right now? But you won't need to do that uh, because we have a very special guest here tonight. Uh, his name is Marcus, and he comes to us all the way from Ireland and he has been dropping cupful stats to all participants. Like it's like the, been this huge perk of being in the cupful this year is getting like your performance analyzed and like seeing spreadsheets of how you compare to the other like uh, Elon's going to kill me two hundred and twenty competitors. Twenty four hundred. Wait, one hundred or two hundred? Two 
224. Yeah, good. 224 competitors in the Cupful. It's a huge multi-tiered league. There's uh, like 14 or 15 different divisions. And uh, Marcus does yeoman's work compiling how each and every team is doing, uh, looking at trends and transactions. Uh, we try and reference this stuff regularly when we talk about percentage owning the Cupful. Anyway, uh, Marcus, thank you for joining us and being here tonight. Thank you for having me. It's, so Mar- it's a real privilege. I, I love the show and I'm delighted to be able to contribute and delighted to be here. And we're so happy to have you. So Marcus is here. Um, after we talk, he's also compiled some of uh, some of our projection hits and misses from the Keeping Carlson Almanac. So stuff that Elon and I missed on, some that we hit on. Uh, so we're going to start the show with that. And then we're going to get into some brief NHL news and notes. We're going to cap up, uh, recap the biggest NHL headlines of the week. Not all of them. This is like supposed to be kind of a week off, but we're here giving you like like a semi-bonus episode, um, hence the different format. And then after that, we are going to hit the cupful and uh, go through all the trends. And I bet you're going to find some handy insights about the cupful that are going to help you in your league, uh, whether you're participating or a commissioner or just whatever. Lots of food for thought uh, when we get to that bit. To help us through all of it, I've already introduced Marcus. We have, uh, I, I mentioned them, the average time on ice crew with us, uh, or at least partially. Um, ben, how's it going? Uh, hot as ever over here in Alberta. <laughs> Great. And, uh, and Jade, you here? I'm here. Fantastic. Uh, I, okay. I, like what, how's, uh, what's new? Give me, give me, uh, give me some of that ATOI flair. To, to uh, yeah, well, uh, for those of you who don't know, I had the honor, pleasure, privilege to actually meet Brian and Elon um, and some others for the first time the other day. So um, what's new since then? Not much. Um, <laughs> ATUI posted their, their our year in review article today. So you can check that out on our blog, which is averagetimeonice.wordpress.com. Right. And it's a it's a fantastic blog. These people are funny and they know about hockey and it's a rare combination. So uh, how about you go check out that blog and their Twitter account? We'll repeat it all at the end of the show. For now, you're probably like, where's the content? Here comes the content. So as many of you know, we started uh, this season uh, with the first ever Keeping Carlson 2018-19 Audio Almanac, which was a 30-hour smorgasbord uh, where Elon and I went through every single fantasy-relevant player on every single team in the NHL. So it was 31 chapters long, plus a smorgoldies board chapter in there. And we gave projections for each of them. It was our first time projecting. And like my opinion is that if you're going to do this, you better try and you you hope that someone's going to be around to keep you honest, right? Because if you're just going to be projecting willy nilly every year and no one's checking you on it, you can make the same mistakes over and over. And thankfully, that's where Marcus comes in. So Marcus, um, you have compiled some of our bigger hits and misses. It like I know this isn't the official halfway point of the season, but it kind of feels like it. It feels like a good time to get into this anyway. Um, so. Marcus, how did you, if you can just quickly describe like your methodology here, how did you find, uh, like you combed through all our projections and saw which ones we were closest on and which one we were furthest on at this point of the year? Yeah, more or less. So yeah, it's not exactly the halfway point of the season. It is for some teams. Some teams have just hit the 41 game mark. So that's a nice round figure to look at. And um, yeah, what I did was I took your spreadsheet, uh, yours, Andy Lance, um, 
and compared it against where players are at so far. It's it's all based on point paces, obviously, which was what your uh, projections were based on. So, you know, if somebody's missed a couple of games, I'm not gonna not gonna punish the projection for that. Um, I do have to say, obviously, we're gonna go through five or six misses. Um, I think we've got three for for each of you, and then a couple as well for your combined. Um, to be honest, most of them are not anything that you guys have done wrong. They're mainly players just absolutely stinking. Um, so yeah, once we get started on them, I'll go into some of the, some more of the details. But uh, overall, the the almanac and the projection sheet that you gave was really really valuable. Um, what I do with them, I take five or six different projections from different people across the internet um, and combine them all uh, and kind of get an average of each one. And that's what I use as my draft kit each year. Um, so yours was extremely valuable for that. Okay, so so yeah, so this could be a potentially very embarrassing exercise, but but we hope that we're going to learn something from it all. Um, so let's take a look. At, let's just just to enter slowly here. Since he's not here, how about we begin by talking about who Elon has missed out on the most in his start of year projections. So, um, Marcus, you mentioned uh, there were three uh, three big misses so far for Elon. Who were they? Um, so the number one uh, miss for Elan was Nolan Patrick of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, Elan went very high on him, uh, projected 55 points for him this season. Um, Nolan Patrick is 20 years old. It's only his second season in the league, so it makes it a lot more difficult to project. You don't have a whole lot to go on. Um, he promised a lot in his first season, 30 points in 73 games. Um, this season, he's increased his ice time, but he's only pacing for 27 points when Elan projected 55. So that's uh, that's a huge miss. That's nearly uh, nearly double. Yeah, that's really unfortunate for Nolan Patrick. And and I mean, you mentioned he had thirty points in seventy three games last season. Um, but let's remember, like a lot of those came like so. It's like why would we expect this guy to break out? Well, he has the the pedigree of being a top two draft pick, and he also uh, just went on a crazy run when he finally did get good deployment. Um, he was he seemed unstoppable. And I'm not going to lie, I also thought Nolan Patrick would be in pretty good shape. Uh, However, uh, so far, it's not working out for him. Um, You mentioned, Marcus, that his ice time went up uh, since last year, which is great. Um, The trouble is, is that his most common line mates, well, I mean, he was playing with Voracek and Oscar Lindblom for a bunch, which is actually uh, who he was producing with at some point towards the end of last year. but now, most recently, he's playing with Michael Roffel and Scott Loughton on, like, the third line in Philly. So I guess, um, I mean, I guess he, he could not earn his keep on the top line uh, or, like, in the top six. And, the, of course, the top six in Philly is a little more crowded with the arrival of James Van Riemsdyk, which we attempted to account for, um, but I guess not so much. So it's it's been a really rough year. He's definitely someone I added earlier in the season and was like, oh yeah, I just need to wait. Like he's going to pay off at some point. And uh, like I've dropped him in every league that I at one point added him in. And and the unfortunate thing for him is that he's not even seeing like terrible luck or unsustainable scoring numbers. Like this just seems to be who he is and what he's been doing. So it's a bummer. Uh, I still believe in him. Like he had a great run. Uh, He had a 10 game run uh, earlier this year where he had, I think nine points in those 10 games, but literally outside of that run, he has a total of two points in the other, like 20, 25 games or so. So uh, some consistency 
definitely needed from Nolan Patrick for him to have a better season. Elon might have just been off a uh, been off by year, been a little early on that. Uh, who are the others? Uh, give me the two other guys that Elon missed on. Yeah, so number two was Ryan Spooner, who's had a bit of a tumultuous season with a, a trade and a, a coaching change at Edmonton. Um, Elon had him at 45 points, and he's pacing for 12, which is it's shocking on Spooner's part, really. <laughs> um, the other guy was Tanner Pearson, who was also involved in the trade uh, around the same time, mid-November. Um, again, Elon had him at 45 points. Um, he is pacing at 19 Um and to be honest, he hasn't picked up a whole lot. He's picked up a little bit since joining the Penguins, but um, he's nowhere near 45-point pace. It's it's funny because, like, you'd think that guys who you project for, like, a pretty pedestrian, barely half-point-per-game pace, so Spooner and Pearson both at 45 points, seems reasonable. And then uh, all of a sudden, it's not. It's not reasonable. Like, they're not even close. They're not even on 20-point paces. Uh, Spooner's had an awful season. Um, New York has, was not like he had 16 points in 20 games with them last year after being traded there from Boston. Uh, the start of a season did not go well. He was playing less than 13 minutes a night, got traded to Edmonton playing less than 10 minutes a night over 17 games there. Um, so just getting no deployment whatsoever. And actually uh, in the news today, uh, the Edmonton Oilers made a couple depth trades where they traded depth players for worse depth players or at least <laughs> that's the early analysis on it and rumor has it uh, like I just saw something reported as we were about to go live that they were actually trying to include Ryan Spooner in one of those deals but could not get rid of him um so Eberly to Strom to Spooner to like failing to get rid what a terrible chain of events <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't need to invoke that. I, we're pilot. The Oilers fans feel badly enough, I'm sure. And uh, Tanner Pearson, similar story. He, uh, his deployment just crashed this year. Even though um, he was with the same team in LA, right? Um, I mean, he did change to get traded to Pittsburgh at some point, but for whatever reason, LA decided to not use him the same way they have in the past, uh, where he'd been playing. Uh, like 16 minutes a game for the last two years uh, in LA this year, he had in 17 games, he had just one assist and was averaging 13 and a half minutes per game, which is a huge cut in ice time. He lost three minutes of his ice. He also, I'm, I'm taking a look at his line mates here um, was just shuffled all over the place during his brief time in LA. Like he was playing with like Matt Luff, Kempe to Foley Carter, Trevor Lewis and Kovalchuk even a little bit and like really not sticking with any of them. Uh, he's played with Kempe and Toffoli a lot last year and a little bit of Dustin Brown. So no Dustin Brown this year. So anyway, Tanner Pearson, uh, really rough year. And now that he's with Pittsburgh, his deployment has not really improved. So I remember when he was traded, it's like, ah, maybe this is going to be a good thing for him because there's not enough depth for him to produce uh, But uh, in LA. But uh, I guess there's not enough depth for him to be in a meaningful or there's too much depth in Pittsburgh for him to be able to take on a meaningful role himself. Uh, Jade, Ben, uh, any thoughts on, uh, on, on what we've seen from Nolan Patrick, Ryan Spooner and Tanner Pearson all falling far short of like not unreasonable projections by Elon. He had them at 55, 45 and 45 respectively. And they're at 27, 12 and 19. Not a ton to say. I think with uh, someone like Nolan Patrick might be a little interesting. 
uh, in the second half, just because we sometimes see younger players, especially rookies or second year guys who maybe adjust to the league. Remember, Nolan Patrick was injured for a lot of last year. So I just think it's possible maybe if you're in a large enough league where the waiver wire isn't too deep that you could stash a guy like Patrick and hope that he breaks on a nice second line for the Flyers in the new year. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And that's sort of what we saw last season. If you take a look at his game log from 17-18, it was a bit of a waiting game. And again, like he had a nice little run already this year. There was just nothing before it and nothing since. But last year, it was game 41 where Nolan Patrick finally turned it on. Uh, He picked up, I'm just doing the quick math here. He had 21 points in his last 33 games of the year. So uh, Marcus, like you said, we're right around game 41 now. Uh, Nolan Patrick's most recent game was game, uh, well, 33. So uh, he's got a little ways to go. But maybe after game 40, everybody should rush to go pick up uh, Nolan Patrick because he's about to go on another run. Okay, enough about Elon's misses. Marcus, how about uh, about you share uh, the three guys that so far I have whiffed on the most according to our preseason almanac projections? Okay, so, um, yeah, let's get all the misery out of the way early so we can focus on the hits then. Yeah. Um, A lot of these guys, both of you missed out on. I just picked them for you because you missed out on them slightly more. So um, the first guy is William Nylander. He's only he's only back a, a month or so um, after all the drama. My God, the radio coverage, TV coverage, Collie Minch's Twitter, it was all over it. The guy hadn't played a game. And then he signs his contract, comes back, and he's at a 15-point pace um, since, he came, since he returned. Um, his deployment obviously hasn't been great. He needs to get up on one of the, the top lines. Um, but the 75-point pace that was projected for him seems a, seems a distant cry at this stage. Um, the next guy is James Neal. Um, probably the biggest fall from, let's say, relative grace uh, this season. Um, Brian had James Neal pegged for 58 points uh, to improve on 51-point pace from last season with Vegas. Um, in 11-12, 13-14 with the Penguins, he was hitting 83, 85-point paces. He's now hurtling towards a pathetic 15-point season, um, seven points in 38 games. He's only missed a single game this season and has been seeing a decent amount of ice time. I think he's averaging 15, 15 and a half minutes. Uh, there's no excuses here. He's 31 years of age. He's not exactly old by NHL standards, but what a fall. Um, and the third guy then, Jesse Pugliarvi. Um, I won't go into him too much. Um, the projection on this were for 56 points pace for, for pool party. Um, turns out the projections were way too high here. Uh, five points in 27 games. He's on course for a 15-point season. Um, third year in the league, and it would be his worst season to date if he were to continue that. Um, who knows what's going on in Edmonton. The lines seem to have changed so many times this season. It's impossible to say who's going to improve, who's going to you know, get sent down. What will happen? I like what you said, Marcus, uh, when you were introducing like how you decided who was hit, like who we hit on and who we missed. And you were like, you know, no, you guys weren't wrong about any, you weren't wrong. Their teams are wrong about how they've deployed these guys. And like, that's how I feel very strongly about this entire set of players. Um, like, I don't know who they are expected to, or how much they're expected to be able to do. So let's start off with, um, James Neal. Uh, so I had him for 58 points because I had him winning uh, the spot on line one in Calgary, or at least 
being serviceable enough to not beat 43 points off the pace I had him at. I had him at 58. You said he's at 15 right now. Um, we're all waiting for something to happen with James Neal. And I think that something could be a buyout. Like, like I think that's honestly more likely than him scoring 20 goals again at the rate things are going. Maybe he gets traded with some salary retained, but it just does not seem like a fit in Calgary. That's a really regrettable contract. I still wonder, like, we detailed on the on in the almanac. Like I was very clear about the downward trajectory of James Neal's career, and then he had the great year in Vegas. I'm like, okay, as a secondary guy, he can still be serviceable. And then if he plays with Gaudreau and Monahan, which like I put, that's the that's the hill I chose to die on in the almanac, or uh, not to die on, but like to live briefly on, and then to move off of quickly. Anyway. Uh, like I, I thought that would be enough to push him up to 58 points. Obviously it never happened. And he has not even found a role as a secondary contributor in Calgary. Uh, so that's a mess. And I don't expect that one to fix itself. Um, Paul Yarvey, uh, you mentioned, so I had him for 56 points and he has a 15 point pace. And that's like, that's, that's where you just go hashtag Oilers, right? <laughs> like the, yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing more you can say about it. He did have a brief run this year, playing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Jujar Kyra. And it's like that, like, or Nugent Hopkins and Drake Kajula also. And it's like, oh, like maybe that's going to be great. But when you're playing for like four games with each of those guys, um, R&H is a fantastic line mate, but it's just like, there's no dry sidle, no McDavid. Um, so he's not getting any exposure to the guys who I think at this stage in his career, he probably could use some exposure to. And like, honestly, if he's not doing that, if he's not going to be able to be used in a top six role in the NHL, I feel like the AHL makes more sense for him. Um, But a lot of things might make more sense than what the Oilers choose to do. Um, So unfortunately for uh, Pugliarvi, his deployment situation is not as rosy as I hoped it would have been going into the season. Um, And then William Nylander, uh, yeah, I, I had him in a 75 point pace. I was, I felt like I just wanted to ignore the whole contract impasse. And uh, I, that, that bit me here. Like, I was just like, yeah, it's going to be fine. Going to take on the same role as last year. But nope, he missed like almost three full months of the year and then and to re enter the lineup in a poor place. Um, ben, is, is, is he someone you missed on as well? Like, what were you thinking for William Nylander coming into this season? I was thinking in the 70s range. Um, part of that is that I I really, when you look at the season long uh, or the 82 game paces from Austin Matthews last year, he just looked like he was going to emerge into such a stud. And Nylander being attached to his hip is just such a primo spot. They work so well together. Nylander in that like Nikolai Ehlers type of player who can move the puck through the neutral zone and just kind of knife through there with this sudden speed. So I mean, I don't think that he's a different player anymore. I don't think that he suddenly doesn't have that ability, but you just have to wonder because we play such a, like a game of so much variance, uh, fantasy hockey. um, You just have to wonder like when it clicks and when it does, I think like you really want him to be on your squad. The question is, is it going to be this year or do we have to wait until next year for that potential to come through? I think with this year, though, if you can get him for a player, if you're in a deeper league and there are players towards the bottom of your lineup, um, a player, uh, I'm thinking of like a Konechny or like a Yanni Gord. If you can turn one of those guys who are just a little bit better than what's available in free agency into a William Nylander, 
I think that that's like maybe a future, you know, championship winning move when like if Nylander can turn into the player that he can be uh, at the right time of year. Yeah, um, I agree with most of what you guys have said about Nylander. Um, and as <laughs> anyone oh, Matilda, who's this- Matilda make, making a guest appearance uh, in the show. Don't mind. Okay. Don't mind her. We all like her. Oh, man. She's like sleeping perfectly silently. This is just my problem. Okay. She's all riled up about William Nylander. Oh, (laughs) oh, you're saying not to blame her. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I'm all riled up about William Nylander because I traded Michael Furland for him. um, Like, I don't know, early on in the season when Furland was just lighting it up uh, and it seemed like there was no way that was going to be sustainable. And I thought this was a brilliant um, sell high moment for myself. Elon, or Furland has since been dropped in that league and, you know, he had all the injuries and he hasn't really come back to be quite as good. So I've uh, calmed down about it a little bit, but it's been really frustrating uh, having Nylander this whole time. And like you, Brian, I think I just kind of underestimated, A, how long the contract pulled out was going to go and B, like how hard it was going to be for him to jump back into the groove once he came back. Um, yeah, if you're in a place where you're like definitely going to make playoffs in your league, though, I'd think it's a, a good move to make because like Ben said, the upside is just so huge. And even, you know, all the frustrations we've seen from him, it's been such a small sample size. Like if this were, you know, October and we were three weeks into the season and he weren't performing and everyone were freaking out about him, I think we'd all be saying, you know, you have to hold on to him. The upside's too high. Um, just be patient. It's harder to be patient now that it's December, but you know, for him, it's still early on. So uh, I'm still holding on to him. I may regret that in a month, but I, I feel like there's no other other option, honestly. Yes, and and that's the trouble, right? We have a lot of questions, both in our patrons only group and on Twitter, about what should I do with William Nylander? And a lot of people are in a position where, like, if you do anything, you're selling low. Like whether you drop him or you trade him, you're not getting full value back. So my follow up is usually like. Well, where are you in the standings? Like, can you afford, like, you want to figure out how long you can afford to wait and like come up with a plan. Like if you can't wait anymore, if you're at the bottom of your league, like you might just need to cut ties depending on who else is out there in free agency or sell for like less than his uh, hopeful eventual value. Um, if you have like some, some leeway in terms of like some standings, uh, room to breathe, then maybe you can afford to wait a little longer. Uh, you can only imagine once he gets on his first like two game point streak, uh, like everybody's going to be going nuts for him and his value will be up there. So like, you can also just hope and make that your plan to just get that far with him. I will say out of the three guys I missed on, uh, the most, according to your analysis, Marcus, uh, between Nylander, James Neal, and Pugliarvi. Nylander is the only guy I see with the potential to actually really bounce back in a meaningful way. A lot of it is going to come, uh, hopefully, with a bigger role on the team. Right now, he's playing uh, with Kadri, and then the third guy has been uh, Marlowe or Connor Brown for most of the season. But I also see someone who's taken 20 shots has yet to score. Like, give the guy a couple goals on that. I also see a guy with an on-ice shooting percentage at even strength that's under 4%. Like, this guy is, again, unlike Pugliarvi and James Neal, a little snake bitten and it's, it's exacerbating the situation that he's in. So, uh, so that's my message to not totally give up hope on William Nylander and Jade. I'm really, I'm happy for you that uh, Michael Furland is now playing with Warren Fogel and somebody named Clark Bishop. 
on Carolina's whatever line. Uh, so he lost his great deployment. And part of that is because of the rise of Andrei Svechnikov up the depth chart. So you don't have to feel so bad. It's always the best. Like when you make a, a trade that bites you in the butt right away. But like, I just love to watch the players I trade away, um, like fall apart. It feels good. I Like, I, I guess, yeah. I, should I feel bad about that? I've taken like real schadenfreude pleasure in, uh, just seeing Furland not be very good anymore, which is, yeah, I, I feel bad about that. But sorry, Michael, it was, <laughs> it was for the best for everybody. <laughs> uh, okay, Marcus. Uh, so also in the almanac, right? So I gave my projection, Elon gave his, and then we averaged out our projections uh, to have a combined number. So you found the guys that Elon and I, with our combined brain power, missed the most on. Yeah, again, these guys are are people who are generally just underperforming um, against their own standards and uh, against the standards that you set for them. So the first guy, uh, St. Louis Blues, uh, the D-man, Colton Pareko. Uh, he entered the league. He had 33, 35, 35 point pace uh, pace seasons. Um, consen- consensus was that he would be uh, winding it up a little bit and, and hitting 40 points this season. But unfortunately, um, he's on a decline. Uh, he's pacing for 23 points uh, coming up to the halfway point of the season so um, that was a bit of a miss um, second guy Milan Lucic of the Edmonton Oilers um, his best days are definitely firmly behind him a little bit of a James Neal syndrome here um, obviously won the cup in 2011 with the Bruins was a huge part of that team but he's on a steady decline um, he's 8 points in 38 games uh, he's pacing for 17 points and the projection here was 45 points so maybe a little bit of a nostalgic projection Um He's definitely pretty much in the same situation as James Neal. Uh, third guy was Derek Stepan uh, of the Arizona Coyotes. Um, should be at the prime of his career now, 28 years of age. Um, in his position, you would expect that to be when he's hitting his best. He's on track for his worst points total of his career. He has 17 points in 38 games, uh, heading for a 37-point pace. Um, he needs a massive upturn in fortunes to reach the 60-point projection that you guys tagged him with uh, in October in the Almanac. Um, And then the last guy uh, was Tyler Toffoli of the LA Kings. He's had four seasons uh, consecutively in the 40 to 50 point range. Um, He was looking to continue that trend, especially with the arrival of uh, Ilya Kovalchuk at the Staples Centre. 50 points was a fairly natural, reasonable projection there. Um, But the downturn in projection that he's seen has him at just 29 point pace, which will be the worst of his career. His shooting percentage, you might pick up on that, Elan, can probably be blamed a little bit. He's at 5.4% this season, the lowest of his career by quite a distance. So if that picks up and and regresses to the mean, you would hope that uh, he might pick that up in the second half of the season. Yeah, he's only played a couple games since last show when Elon drew our attention to the insane shot totals that he'd been putting up. Uh, I can't, it must have been, anyway, in his last three games, he's continued that. He's got 12 shots in his last three games, including a seven-shot effort. Still, uh, he scored in that seven-shot effort, which is great, uh, but he probably deserves better. Also, an, an interesting little piece for anyone who sees Tyler Toffoli in their free agency pool in a deep enough league. Uh He's getting some power play time the last few games. He's getting a nice share of his team's power play time, and he really hadn't seen that uh, really for more than one or two games at a time um, at all this season, and he generally hasn't either. So keep an eye on that. He's now at three games in a row where he's seen at least half the Kings' uh, power play time on ice available to forwards. Um, So keep that in mind for Tyler Toffoli if you're looking for like a speculative ad in your league. Um, Ben. 
Any of those names catch, catch, catch your ear? So I'll repeat them. We have Pareko, who's essentially uh, just above half the 40-point pace we projected. Lucic, who's at 17 points on a 45-point projected pace. Stepan, a 37-point pace on a 60-point projection. And uh, Toffoli, we just talked about, who's 20 points shy of his 50-point projection. Yeah, sure. I'll start with Stepan, uh, just because on the time-sensitive tip, um, you might want to stream him in tonight, uh, given that he's currently power play one and line one uh, with Clayton Keller. I've noticed a lot of people picking up on Richard Ponick in the same spot, but just given that there's only one game tonight, if you're in a close matchup, try and stream in uh, Ponick or Stepan, uh, just because they're plush uh, deployment. Um, you know, Stepan's always been a like such a consistent 60-point player. I think he's still that guy if he's getting the deployment. It's just probably not going to pan out over a full season the way that he did on, like, say, the Rangers, where they never really had, you know, they never really had a number one center. And I mean, I guess the Coyotes don't either. But when you're with Keller, that's really the only chance you have of being a consistent um, producer. The other guys, I just kind of want to say, like, pour one out for Colton Pareko and uh, Mm -hmm. Milan Lucic for very different reasons, for sure. (laughs) I mean... Lucic is currently on pace for two goals over the full season, which would put the Oilers on the hook for $3 million a goal on his contract. So, I mean, he's he's done. Uh, Colton Pareko, though, it's just kind of, I mean, this is the bell toll. Like, we got to give it up. He's, ne- he's not going to be the guy that we thought he might be when he came into the league. And it's been said a couple times on this podcast, especially I remember when Cam was on a few weeks ago. Um it's just he's not the guy that they're looking for to run their first power play. And uh, I th- still think he'll be very consistent of a player. Like he'll be a depth defenseman in fantasy for a long time. His peripherals give him a really solid floor, especially in a categories league. But, you know, just kind of pour one out for that uh, that potential we thought he might have when he came in the league. Yeah, when the, the Blues continue to, to play Vince Dunn on the power play. And, and to his credit, Vince Dunn like, is not doing terribly in the role, right? Like, uh, and Alex Petrangelo, we should mention, came back to the lineup uh, this weekend and did not see time on the top power play. So looks like 22-year-old Vince Dunn could hold on to that spot. So far, Dunn has five power play points in 34 games, which, like, isn't great for someone seeing as much power play time as he is. Um, But I guess, uh, like you said, Ben, we're looking at someone that the Blues seem to believe in more than Colton Pareko, who we liked when he came into the league as like a, a big booming shot taker. And um, his shot rates have actually not improved since coming into the league. This is actually his weakest uh, season in terms of shot shots on goal and shot attempts. I think he also is seeing like, uh, he probably could have a few more points because of a low IPP. But uh, on the whole, he's never, or at least it doesn't seem like that deployment that we wished he would get is uh, is really in reach. And then Lucic, yeah, there's not much more to say there. Derek Stepan, like, I have to say, like, I'm looking for ways to understand what's happened because, like, his deployment hasn't been as awesome as we thought it would. Like, he was not, like, Alex Galchenyuk took over, uh, briefly at least, as the team's number one center, which we didn't see coming. Um, But, like, his numbers all look the same and generally look sustainable. Like, there's no big markers of unsustainability, but Marcus, as you said, he's on a 36-point pace from a pretty decent spot in the lineup. 
Um, so it's, it's kind of a head scratcher to me. Like I've had him on a couple rosters of mine this season and dropped him. Uh, of course, like he got two goals in the next game and then went quiet again. So whatever, like I, I make peace with that. Um, but it's just, it's been a weird season. Like I, I agree with you, Ben, that I still think Derek Stepan has the potential to be a 60 point player. I'm just not sure exactly what the reason is that he is not, uh, even approaching that so far this year like I see a a couple small explanations but like nothing to really address the the 25 point gap between 60 points and his currently projected uh his current pace which is just above 35 points on the air okay so that's a summary of our big misses from the almanac that we released pre-season just to be clear like we didn't release it a week ago and we're already this far off um but you know one place that you're not gonna miss is with our friends and sponsors over at SeatGeek. They're a hit because, you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. Hundreds of sites, you can't even rely on all of them. Like, it's hard to know who you can trust. And that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. Why? Because they pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person. And SeatGeek is going to get you closer to the action for a great value. And SeatGeek is actually like it's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It searches multiple ticket sites, grades every ticket based on value so you can immediately figure out which are the best seats that fit your budget. Also, SeatGeek has every purchase made on it fully guaranteed. So you don't have to worry about anything going sideways. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I've used it to buy tickets. Whenever I think of buying tickets, it's my first place to go. I just pop open the app, type in where I want to go, and then it shows me the best deals available. Uh, And uh, if you're thinking of doing the same, all you need to do is download the uh, SeatGeek app, and we'll give you a little bonus for trying it out. You get $10 off your very first SeatGeek purchase as a Keeping Carlson listener. That's right, $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code KEEPING today. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Anyone want to join me with the slogan? It's risky in case nobody knows it. Be a geek, buy a seat. (laughs) Anyone else? Be a geek, buy a seat. I'm glad you're quoting Elon's made-up slogan for Seat Geek. Um, but the one we have is Seat Geek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Oh, of course. Anyway, go check them out. Seat Geek, great service. I I feel like Seat Geek should be hiring Elon to work in their marketing department <laughs> since that's the slogan we all went with. Yeah, you know, maybe Elon has a a copywriting uh, future here. Good for him. Uh, okay, so SeatGeek's a hit. Who else are hits? Who are the players? Like, enough of this sadness, Marcus. You've been just railing against us and telling us how terrible we've been <laughs> with all our big misses uh, and how it's all our fault. Uh, so can you uh, please restore our listeners' faith in us by going over some of the hits we've had? How about we start again with Elon? Maybe uh, you can mention each player one at a time, and then we'll open it up to uh, to the crew to see if we want to say anything, and then uh, and then we'll go from there. 
Yep, no problem. Most people like to get the uh, bad news before they get the good news, so let's move <laughs> on to the good news. Um, player number one, uh, Marcus Johansson of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, he's recently joined the IOR, uh, unfortunately. Um, but before that, after missing the last few games, uh, he played 31 games, had 15 points, and that was good for a 39.7 pace. Um, so with Elan having projected him at 40 for this season, uh, Brian, you went a little bit higher at 45. Uh, remains to, to see uh, how, how that one's going to play out. But Elan is pretty much spot on with that one. Congratulations, Elon, for having the most boring hit possible. You nailed Marcus Johansson's projection. Like you ask people who what team Marcus Johansson plays for these, or even if he's in the NHL, I bet you don't even know. But Elon knows, and Elon also knows exactly how many points Marcus Johansson is uh, is gonna get at forty point pace, exact same pace he was on last year. Uh, unfortunately, these are the two lowest paces of his career since his rookie season. But it looks like uh, Elon has a sense of who who Marcus Johansson is. Uh, who else did uh, did Elon nail? Give us uh, anyone exciting that he really figured out. How about Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Is he oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So with everything that's gone on with the Oilers this year, um, coach changes, line changes, players dropping, players coming in, trades, the whole lot. Um, it's it's a testament to Elon that he managed to project this one correctly. Um, Brian, you held back a little bit on him, projecting him at 60 points. E- Elon was a lot bolder going with 70 points. Um, 34 points in 30, 38 games this season. So uh, Nuge is pacing for a 73-point season. So Elon was only three points off with that one. Yeah, so I so that was a big call from Elon, based mostly on the belief that uh, Nugent Hopkins was going to be playing with Connor McDavid all year long. I backed off thinking that maybe Nugent Hopkins wouldn't play with McDavid all year long. Um, and you look at what Nugent Hopkins did in his first 23 games, picked up 22 points, uh, many of those alongside, or if not all of them, alongside Connor McDavid. So uh, good for him. However, since then, he's cooled off a little bit. I wonder if he's closer to my... Like, I know we can't divide uh, paces. Uh, No, he's still got 12 points in 15 games since. So that's still a lovely 66-point pace, which is right in between where Elon and I had him. How convenient. Um, So, uh, yeah. Like, like Edmonton's a weird place to be. Eugene Hopkins has been on that line more than he's been off it. But I guess the big question is... um, what the heck are they ever doing over in Edmonton? Jade, do you have any uh, any thoughts? Yeah, um, I have to give Elon a shout out on RNH because when I, I don't know, from all of his preseason projections, that was like the one that really stuck with me, got me going. Um, I definitely drafted him thinking he was going to be a 70-point player based on Elon's enthusiasm. Um, and I've been really, really happy with him. Um, I just checked right now. He's like the 60th ranked player for my league settings that I have him in. Um, there is always the the question of what Edmonton's doing and the land dependence. But I think, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I think he was consistently doing well, even when he was off that line. So I think he's shown that, um, you know, despite being on whatever Edmonton is um, and whether or not he's playing with Connor McDavid, he can still be really useful. Um, I almost tried to trade him a couple of times. I think I sent out some offers, like when there was that, I don't know, there was a big... Uh, gloomy cloud hanging over his head for some reason. I'm not really sure why that was, um, but I, I almost did a panic trade. I'm really glad I didn't. Um, so yeah, big RNH fan. Um, yeah. Hope he sticks with Connor McDavid. I think obviously like 
Nylander or like any of these other players that we talk about, like if he has that spot, then the sky's the limit. So um, I think he's worth holding for that alone. Yeah, Iron H is one of those weird guys like who like I've gone on and on about like how he's not line dependent. Like, you know, like uh, like if you took Kyle Palmieri, uh, Elon and I actually had like a big talk about this over the over the last week. Like I, I when Taylor all got injured, I got very concerned for Palmieri. Um, and he was like, no, Palmieri's good. It just means more opportunity for him. Nugent Hopkins is not line dependent. But like if he's not on the scoring line, they're counting on him to do like significant other heavy lifting so it's really hard to like he, like it's it's hard to talk about him and just to really be clear that like he's an amazing player and he can do what he's asked to do it's just he's not always asked to produce ben did you have something uh you wanted to add yeah i think that uh you know ryan nugent hopkins i agree with you both that he's a great player i think the thing is that his perceived value while he's up with mcdavid is like really really high and a lot of that is because of the torrid start um i do think that there's lots of reasons to question whether or not he sticks on that line long term and despite his success on the second line without mcdavid earlier this season we do have lots more data that suggests he isn't a 70 plus point player when he's not on that top line so I'm not saying that I'd sell him for a 70-point player, but if you could turn him into a surefire, like non-line-dependent 75 or 80-point player, that's something that I would be looking for right now as a Ryan Nugent Hopkins owner. So oh, yeah, me too. But I don't, I don't really see that happening. So I can tell you, as a dual RNH owners, like Elon and I both owned him. We both traded him uh, in deals that netted us Raquel. And then he's been injured. Like that was our move to cash in on RNH and not worry about what he's being asked to do in Edmonton. Uh, and then of course Raquel got injured. So that's been a bummer, but hopefully it'll still pay off. Um, you look at Nugent Hopkins line mates when it, without McDavid um, and he's been without McDavid for most of the last like 15 games or so. It looks like their last game where they primarily like they played together like three games ago, but uh, until that, uh, they'd been mostly apart since uh, the 15-game mark of the year. Um, and Nugent Hopkins has been with guys like uh, like he's been playing with Pujarvi and Jujar Kaira. Uh, he's been playing with Drake Kajula. They're like, hey, Nugent Hopkins, you can carry a line. Uh, carry these chumps and see how far you can go. But thankfully for Nugent Hopkins, he's still been able, uh, even in those times, to produce uh, in large part because of his power play role. Right, he's already up to 14 power play points on the season, um, which is a, a, a lovely thing. It's actually um, his highest power play point total since 2013-14, and he's got it because he's seeing 72% share of his team's power play time. When in uh, the last three years, he'd seen 43%, 38%, 51%. So never a top power play guy in Edmonton the last few years until finally now. And it's so nice that he's making the most of it even when he's separated from McDavid at even strength. Um, okay, so a uh, couple Elon hits, Marcus Johansson, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Marcus, who's the third biggest hit for Elon? So the third guy uh, is a, a Blackhawk, Chicago Blackhawk, playing in the Winter Classic tomorrow. Um, Alex Dabrinkas, uh, left wing, right wing eligibility, so dual eligibility there. Um, he's another player that Elon... There weren't too many. I think, Brian, you were usually... Uh, you took the higher road. Um, Elan projected 65 points, which was 10 more than your projection of 55. 
Uh, with half a season gone, 33 points in the bag for Dabrinkas. He's pacing for a 66-point season in a struggling Chicago team. He's now arguably their second most valuable fantasy uh, skater uh, behind Patrick Kane, probably roughly on a par with Jonathan Taves, but uh, definitely on a, an upward trajectory. Um, he's been very consistent. His first quarter and his second quarter were pretty much uh, equal. Uh, 16 points in the first quarter, 17 in the second um, his power play time has increased from two minutes to three minutes. He has nine power play points. Uh, his time on ice is up from last season, and the sky seems to be the limit for this guy. He's only going to get better and better, I think. It's been a great year for anybody projecting growth for Alex to bring it. Uh, yeah, his pace last year was 53 points, so I guess that was kind of rude to only imagine he'd get he'd pace for two more in his sophomore season, thinking that maybe he saw a little, a little some favor last year, but uh, that was not the case. He is proving to be the real deal. Uh, he's seeing three more minutes of ice time per game on average, uh, holding down a near 16% shooting percentage over the course of his first 300 NHL shots, which is exciting. Makes me wonder if he could be one of those high percentage converters or higher percentage converters. And honestly, he looks that way. If you've watched him play, uh, has a power play role already nine power play points on the season. Uh, what what a great guy. He did have a, a dry run, though, Ben, at some point. Were you ever concerned that the Debrinket bubble was going to burst? Uh, I wrote about Debrinket on the Average Time on Ice blog, and basically what I came down to when I looked at the overproduction of his first 15 or so games and then the severe cold streak he went through over, I think it was a stretch of 11 or 12 games yeah, in the middle of the goal. season. Yeah, he had one goal and one assist over 11 games uh, spanning from end of October to like late November. Mm-hmm. And so I think like he's a guy who moving forward, like 65 points is a really reasonable projection. But I also think like, I think he's a lot closer to a Patrick Kane than someone like Jonathan Taves is as far as fantasy production goes at this point. And I think really what's just holding him back right now is the uncertainty within the Blackhawks organization. You have Colleton in there and he just, there's not a lot of stability to Debrinket's um, line mates. And when there is, he's playing with Dylan Strom, who may be a bit of a finisher, but isn't quite as adept at developing the play or I mean his foot speed gets derided a lot but he just isn't the sort of guy who can set to bring it up to succeed as much as you would want not quite the same when he's on a line with Patrick Kane and when he has been he's produced at a really high level so I think that he's a guy who moving forward you can look at as trending up towards 70 and 75 just based on the quality and uh, talent level that he has. You, like, are you calling that for this season? Like, do you think to bring it can hold down a 70, 75 point pace the rest of this year? Or are you looking into the future? Yeah, I just think like he's he has that potential. I'm not saying that he de- like I'm not bold enough to say that he'll go above the 65 point pace. But I mean, three weeks ago, I sounded pretty bold saying that he would still be good for 65. So I'm just I'm holding course here with Elon, me, me and my boy Elon with our 65 point. <laughs> Alex DeBrinket predictions. All right, enough about Elon. He's probably listening to this, getting so excited about all the times he was right, and he is right a lot. He's a great guy to have uh, on the show, uh, like on the show as a co-host and uh, offering fantasy advice. But you know who else is a good guy to offer fantasy? Ad- no, I can't do that. I can't follow through on tooting my own horn. So, Marcus, uh, can you uh, let us know uh, who my three best hits 
from the Almanac so far have been? Do any of them rival Marcus Johansson in boringness? Probably the first guy, yeah. Arturi Lekkonen, um, oh. the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> Very boring. So, yeah, 23-year-old Finn uh, came into this season with expectations from yourself for uh, 42 points against Elan's 35. He's 21 points in the bag after 39 games. Uh, hasn't missed a game. He's full steam ahead to break the 40-point barrier for the first time, and he's on course for 44 points. Um, so that was your first hit. Um, okay. I don't know if there's much to be said about him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not the most exciting guy to be discussing, so we won't spend too long. Uh, I guess, like, yeah, there's, there's, I don't see a whole lot to say here. Like, I'm actually surprised Elon went so much lower than I did. I thought it was going to be like, uh, uh, like uh, I don't know, not that much lower. Some people, like I guess last season, 17-18 was the year that everyone was hoping for a Lekkonen breakout. Uh, lately, Lekkonen's been playing uh, with Kotkaniemi and Andrew Shaw. Before that, he's playing with Paul Byron and Kotkaniemi. So like not in a great deployment. Anyway, this is boring. Why am I talking about Arturi Lekkonen? Next hit, Marcus. Next hit is a $66 million player, so a little bit more exciting, I suppose. Captain of the Arizona Coyotes, uh, OEL, Oliver ekman Larson. Uh, been around the league for a good while now, since 2010. Uh, he's one of the most consistent D-men around. Not the most exciting D-men, but uh, consistent. He's pacing for 40-plus points every year since 2013. Had a standout 55 points in 75 games uh, in 15-16. Um, Brian, you expected more of the same. You projected a, a fair 45 points, I suppose, um, with the captain on his jersey and $66 million in the bank. He's headed for 45.3 points this season um, based on his, uh, his pace so far. So spot on. All right. I love being Oliver ekman Larson is one of my favorite players to be right about. And I'll explain why in a moment. First, Ben uh, or, or Jade, either of you want to pipe in here and, uh, and add to Marcus's comments on OEL season so far? Uh, first of all, shouts out to Sean Couturier. Did we talk about Sean Couturier yet? No. No, that's, that's the uh, mystery third hit that I had. So uh, spoiler alert, but okay. Spoiler alert. Shouts out Sean Couturier for repping my home province of New Brunswick. You're doing a great <laughs> That's job. That's what I would say about him. You're doing a good job of playing Brian in the Elon Brian dynamic. Nice. Like not, I'm glad. Not uh, knowing te- which hashtag player team was, Brian. Yeah, not not knowing which player was most recently discussed and just guessing when you mm. come in on the mic. Uh, okay. No, we were talking <laughs> about OEL. Yes, I do have takes on OEL, but mainly it's just that Arizona seems like so much worse than we expected preseason. And they've shown like one thing that they're really prone to do is just going cold and not scoring for bunches at a time. So while I do think like OEL has that upside, it has a lot to do with just the variance of special teams. And if Arizona can figure out their power play stuff, he can be a 50 plus point player. It's just that right now I think they're kind of a mess. And that's the same reason that a player like Derek Stepan just isn't hitting at the same level that he normally can, you can normally count on him to hit. Ben, I'm so glad you just teed that right up for me because you, like I, I said, I like OEL is my favorite guys to be right on. And then you went ahead and dropped the like, still could be a 55, 60 point player. But like, this is 50, 55. Oh, okay. I, I thought you said 75-80, which was, like, that's crazy. What are you thinking? Uh, what I've been telling, no, sorry. You, I don't mean to misrepresent your take. But what I am saying, and I really appreciate, like, I know you just lobbed me the softball and segue, so thank you. Um, but Oliver ekman Larson is not who we thought he was. Like, I don't think 
he ever, like he had those amazing seasons, right? He had a 60 point pace in 2015, 16. You want to know his point pace is the rest of his career. Two seasons before that, 44 point pace, 45 point pace, two seasons since then, 40 point pace, 42 point pace. And this season on a 44 point pace, we know who this guy is. And I know everybody expects Arizona to take that step forward and for him to be a big part of it and getting in on it. Everyone just got super pumped about his 60 point year, but it was not sustainable. And I also know last year there were questions about his health that might've hampered him and kept him down to just a 42 point pace. But even still, um, like I remember getting like after a 60 point season, I was on the fantasy hockey subreddit and uh, I got into like a pretty lengthy argument with someone about it who like really believed in him. And uh, it really forced me to take a strong position on him, which is that essentially he's a 45 point guy, maybe 50 points. And that's uh so he's panning out like not to pat myself on the back too hard here. It's really awkward. I wish somebody else was uh, here to help congratulate me on these hits. No, I think you're right about OEL. I'm like, I'm not trying to misrepresent him as like, or I'm not trying to uh, disagree with your take on what kind of player he is. But just to say that, like, if a team like Arizona ever figured out their power play, he is the number one guy on that unit. You can see a season where Clayton Keller puts up 90 points. They score, you know, he scores 30 power play points. OEL is going to get in on those power play points to a large degree. You've seen variance from a lot of defensemen over the last couple of years. Um, they have high years, they have low years. I just think in his high years, you can expect a better total than 45. Not because I think OEL is a better player than what he's been the last two years, but just that the team as in general can produce at a higher level at some point. I mean, obviously not just because we've seen who Arizona are. They have disproved the idea that tanking teams need to take step forwards as they go. But uh, yeah, I just think, you know, there's, there's reasons to think that he can hit over 50 points in a season. Jay, did you, you had some coyotes, uh, some, some additional coyotes uh, items you wanted to mention? Yeah. um, I mean, the coyotes have been extremely frustrating. Uh, One person who's been really difficult is Clayton Keller because we've seen him do so well. And then we also see, games where he does absolutely nothing at all which brings me to my uh very personal dilemma of being down by 10 points in my cupful matchup with only my clayton keller versus my opponents nobody um so if Ooh. clayton keller gets a hat trick tonight um i have tweeted out the opportunity to retweet my tweet and <laughs> i will do any dare that the people dare me because uh, i think that's what's missing from clayton keller's game an opportunity for me to embarrass myself in front of our millions of followers okay so if you are listening to this now and you know that clayton keller got a hat trick this is your chance no no you gotta do it like before it happens like oh. if you believe in keller you better oh. go it now <laughs> okay you've got to call your shot now yeah, well, exactly. unfortunately like um yeah no it's been an awful season for keller it and it hasn't been um alex in the chat was saying like you know, uh, p- people don't forecast Ekman Larson to be better. They forecast Arizona to be better and for him to be a part of that. And like, I agree with that, which is why I, I still think he's like 45, 50 points though. Like, I don't know. And like his shot rates have not been up with his, like the career, like the wa- high watermarks he was setting earlier in his career. Um, one unfortunate thing about Arizona's season this far is like their uh, expected goals differential is, Uh, below zero right now and it has been for most of the season so is their shot attempt differential um 
So, like, they're just not playing as, like, we all know that, like, Arizona is a bit of a work in progress here. And, like, you can see that they shipped out Brandon Perlini and Dylan Strom. Like, you can see they're figuring out, oh, we need to make some adjustments here. Um, but they're not yet finding their footing. I thought that last year was enough time for new coach Rick Tockett to, like, start figuring out how to fix things and that this would be a better year for Arizona than it has been. Um it hasn't been. And you can't just say it's just because uh, anti Ranta is out because uh, like the team in front of him is not doing so well. Like they're still like, I'm, I'm quoting numbers that are more about team play rather than like in less affected by goalie play. So um, yeah, Arizona's got, got some heavy lifting to do to finally figure out exactly how to make their variety of pieces work. Uh, and then um, Marcus, my last hit, for the moment yeah uh, i think you can guess this one it was already mentioned uh, <laughs> sean Couturier uh, of the philadelphia flyers um this is a really interesting one because uh the wisdom of the crowds or the hive mind comes into play here you projected 66 points in your um your specific projection and when you went away from the five point intervals um elam projected 65 and he's currently on pace for 65.6 so you're winning that by 0.1 of a point um, so it's the hive mind at its finest. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm feeling good about that. He was on a 76-point season uh, in 2017-18. And so far, like, you know, why is he not on the same point pace? I think it's just because his on-ice shooting percentage regressed for the most part, as would be expected. Um, so I'm yeah, feeling good about that. Anyone else? Uh, ben, did you have a, a comment that you were ready to make when you uh, spoiled? When you uh, – what's – you? Blew my call or whatever. Blew my spot. Out of the bag. I don't think I blew anyone's call, but uh, shouts out Sean Couturier, uh, New Brunswick uh, lover, I guess we can say, for uh, taking over the Bathurst Titans. Oh, the Yakety Bathurst Titan. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he purchased that team when they were going through some financial struggles. Oh, what a guy. Can we just give him five points for that? Or like have a fantasy hockey category for teams saved from bankruptcy, professional sports, and Couturier's got you covered there. Um, okay, uh, Marcus, uh, let's roll through. Like uh, we're we're doing great here. Um, let's go through the hits that Elon and I got the most on our averaged out scores. I actually feel pretty good about these four guys. So maybe you can just name them all and uh, we'll sort of wrap them up quick and then we'll uh, get on to some NHL news and notes. Yeah, cool. So uh, number one, I mean, if you're going to project somebody correctly, you might as well project the biggest superstar in the league. Uh, so Connor McDavid, you had him at 125 point pace. Um, I think I recall correctly in the Almanac, you said that this guy could go as high as he wants. Um, he's on pace for 124.1, so no big deal, but you got that one pretty much spot on between you. Uh, second guy, uh, William Carlson, the Vegas Golden Knights. Obviously, he was absolutely incredible last year. The numbers weren't sustainable, as was pointed out quite a few times. Um, so projecting for him this season was, was probably a little bit difficult. Um, you agreed on 60 points, and with half a season uh, exactly half a season gone in Vegas. He's pacing for just that. He has 15 goals, 15 assists in 41 games, so he's perfectly paced for 60 points. So again, spot on. Um, and the last two guys, Stephen Stamkos, uh, he's on a 90.4 point pace. 
you project 90 uh, solid, pretty much like OEL. You know what you're going to get out of Stamkos. He has been a little bit hot and cold this year. I have him in my couple team, um, but he overall is very, very consistent. And the last guy then I just threw in for, for giggles, uh, Brent Seabrook, 30-point pace, 30 points projected, and that's that. And that's that. I, I like that list because I feel like they can all be summed up in like one uh, brief comment. So Connor McDavid, he's as good as we thought he was. He is who we thought he was. Uh, William Carlson, he's not who many thought he was. Uh, he's still good, but he's not the guy, uh, the 40-goal scorer of yesteryear. Literally yesteryear. Sometimes you say that going further back. Um, Steven Stamkos does not suck. He's still a really good player. Of course, it helps that he's got an amazing surrounding cast. Um, it also helps that he has a 19.5% shoot percent shooting percentage this year, which is actually he like is not crazy for him. Like He's generally around 15% over the course of his career. Um, but maybe, just maybe, he's a sell high. So like we called a 90-point pace, but I'm wondering if uh, – and I'm saying like, yeah, he's still really good – but I'm not sure he deserves all 90 of these points. His ice time is actually also down at 17 minutes and 46 seconds, which is the lowest uh, of his career since his rookie season. So uh, just be mindful of that. Like this could be a good time while Steven Stamkos is hot and Tampa's rolling. Maybe you can get a really nice return for Steven Stamkos there. I said it. And finally, Brent Seabrook. Uh, Yeah, that's the boring hit. That's the boring combined hit. He uh, He's over. Brent Seabrook is done. Um, not much to say there. Uh, Lewis, hey, uh, I'm going to introduce... Lewis uh, is part three or part one or two. I'm not going to order uh, the average time on ice crew, but Lewis, who you might have heard do the night before hockey uh, way back at the start of this season, uh, read a great poem for all of us that he wrote. Um, he's here. Hi, Lewis. Hey, how's it going, guys? So good to have you. Uh, and Lewis, uh, you're only on the show because you said that you had a bonus Brian hit to mention. And anybody who says that is welcome uh, to join at any moment. What's uh, what's this bonus hit? Well, I hope that would be my key in the door. <laughs> um, I feel like you're not getting enough credit for the hottest take that you had with uh, all of the various um, almanacs. Not almanacs, but... Uh, all the various guys that were out there, which is Yaro Halak. Yeah. His, uh, splitting time with the Bruins goal and maybe threatening the job for Tukarask. Yeah. So I'm feeling really great about that. Um, and I hope it's helped a lot of people who listen to the Almanac. Um, Halak has started, uh, well, he had started four of the last five games for Boston. Uh, Rask started the most recent one. It was an overtime when he played well, so maybe he'll earn another. But Tuka Rask has not started more than two games in a row all season long. Uh, Halak has started more than two games in a row on two occasions. He had runs of uh, of three consecutive starts. Um, and he is definitely the goalie who uh, seems to be, I mean, I made the call, was it last week, where I said, like, I'm, I'm taking my preseason take a step further, uh, which is that Yaro Halak is the game one starter for Boston. Uh, so if anyone drafting a playoff pool, keep that in mind. That'll come in handy. Um, yeah, that was, that was yeah. a tough episode to listen for me because I believed in you very much at the start of the season. I got Halak for just a few bucks off a free agency the night before the season started in Sweden. Uh, yeah. And I lost the faith. 
I dropped him uh, like two weeks ago when Raz started to pick it up, and I'm regretting it now. And now he's uh, he's like he obviously was snapped up pretty quickly. I the irony is that I don't own Halak, like I own Halak in one of my leagues, but that's it. You would think I would have bought in a lot. Oh no, I think I own him in two. Elon will kill me. It's our joint league that I can't remember which players we actually own together. Um, okay. So that uh, that concludes the hits and misses. Um, so how about this? I'm going to let's let's move into some brief NHL. Oh, actually, okay. If everyone could just hang with me here, um, Marcus, we have some like group hits and misses. Like you looked at players who are most outperforming their cupful draft rank, right? Would that be a fair way to explain these like overperforming breakout players? Yeah, that was more or less the way I measured it. Um, there's only five players here with a couple of honourable mentions then after that, so uh, I'll get stuck into those. Okay, um, so how did you, b- before you even get into them, how did you, like, pull this list? Um, well, I compared the average draft pick or the average draft percentage in the couple divisions against where they are ranked in the Yahoo League as it stands. Um, so... For example, if somebody wasn't drafted in any of the couple divisions and is now held in 100% of the leagues, I would class that as an overperformance. Um, or if somebody is was drafted with an average draft pick of, of 200 and is now ranked 25, I would class that as a pretty big big hit. Okay, okay. So so these are guys that people uh, did not draft or uh, or drafted late, but probably if we redid the draft today uh would be drafted a lot higher so uh so let's how about give us uh give us the first two okay the first two um guys who have been mentioned on the show numerous times so they'll be they won't be new to anybody um the first one is Timo Meyer of the San Jose Sharks you guys were big on him um early in the season and preseason he was drafted in every couple division probably on the back of the podcast um his average draft pick was 175.6 um so late enough um, he's currently ranked 30th overall and he's third amongst uh, dual eligible left wing, right wing skaters. Um, so he's really overperforming, even based on uh, your high projections of him. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and when you say overperforming, you don't mean like over, like just performing above where a lot of people drafted him, right? Like, I still have a lot of faith that he, yeah, he's, he's been amazing. Timo Meyer breakout year. Um, Elon. Uh, expressed some skepticism earlier in the season that like he's not going to last uh, in the top six for long and uh, sure enough he has managed to stay there all year which has been a big factor in him playing at a 75 point pace right now all right next up yeah put it this way if we were to be uh redrafting the league today i don't think he'd be 175th <laughs> in, in the draft pick um, same with the next guy, uh, Thomas Shabbat of the Ottawa Senators, uh, drafted in 100% of couple divisions, um, average draft pick 190.7. He's currently ranked 24th, uh, and he's the second highest uh, D-man in fantasy in the couple format, uh, just behind Morgan Riley. Um, so a huge season from Shabbat so far. I think he's on a point uh, point of game pace. Yeah. So, and we talked about him last week. I suggested like he's slowed down a little bit lately. Oh. Well, uh, he's been he's been slowed down. We'll get it. We'll get to that in our NHL news and notes. Unfortunately, it looks like he might. Uh, has it been confirmed that it's a concussion? Uh, he's injured, so uh, I'll, I'll look into that by the time we get into our NHL news and notes segment. But uh, 
if he were still playing, uh, we still would have expected him to fall off a little bit more from his pace. But yeah, what a great late grab. Uh, someone who's just essentially stepped into that like guy who's producing from the blue line in Ottawa uh, without much help. Like a couple elite players helping him, but that's it. Yeah, he's replacing that guy that left and went to a different team. Yeah, what's what's his name again? I can't can't remember. Ah, he, he didn't leave. He was traded. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> he would never leave me, Marcus. <laughs> uh, the next guy, um, Neil Pionk, uh, D-man from the New York Rangers, was not drafted in a single cook-up-full division. Um, sorry, I have to specify, this is not including the top division, um, which used uh, an auction draft. I only went with the other 15. So he wasn't drafted in any of the other 15 divisions. Um, he's currently ranked 148 uh, and is 100% owned in cook-up-full. So although nobody drafted him, everyone now owns him. So I'm going to I'm going to put a question out there to uh, Ben and Jade and Lewis and uh, somebody can just unmute themselves and let me know what they think. Uh, here's a hot take. Uh, Neil Pionk should not be 100 percent owned in Kukupful at this point. Marcus just said everyone has him. And like, I get it. Like you want to give a guy time after like you picked him up. He's been good. There might not be a lot of great D replacement options. However, uh, in his last 13 games, Neil Pionk has, point, has tallied, uh, has hit the score sheet just three times with one goal, three assists for four points over his last 13 games. Uh, less than two shots a game in that time. Uh, a single power play point amongst those four points. Um, yeah. So, like, if you if you are a Neil Pionk owner, the days in which he was playing, like, 22, 24, 25 minutes uh, seem to be behind us for the time being. Although, he's still averaging, like, 20, 23 minutes. So, I, maybe that's that's a bit alarmist. Um, he's still throwing hits. That's nice. He's still getting blocks. That's nice. But the points just aren't coming. Is Neil Pionk still rosterable? Uh, I think he is. I think I would be. And this is coming from... Uh, someone who has had Vince Dunn and Colton Pareko basically all year. So I feel like Pionk is kind of in that same range where there he's not um, good enough that you want to still be owning him, but he's probably still better than what your free agent options are, unless I guess you're really dedicated to just streaming in players who are going to have four game weeks and get you the a lot of peripherals to make up for it. Um I'm not like that kind of player. So I'd rather just have some serviceable D men who are going to be fine and um, who I can drop for someone better if they come along. But I think if Pionk were dropped in my division, I would probably add him. And I don't think I would be dropping him if I had him. Hmm, yeah. So that's an interesting other perspective, right? It's like, well, if Pionk was available, would I add him? Um, yeah. Like, I, I guess it depends on how desperate you are for D. But like yeah. he's st- he still is on the top power play, although there were it seems like he's flirting with not being on it anymore. Um, although the last like the last three or four games, uh, he certainly hasn't been the guy. Actually, actually, I could extend that to the last like ten, fifth. I don't know. He just like he never he doesn't seem to be the like unquestioned top power play defenseman for some reason. Even though like there aren't really a whole lot of other candidates out there. Yeah, I agree with you. I just think in a couple, at least, um, I'd be shocked if there's uh, really a better option. So I wouldn't be feeling the need to make a move. But if there is, then yes. <laughs> um, and in a okay. shower, for sure, I don't think you need to own him. 
Sorry, I think if you're in a league where 40, 40 point defensemen, top power play guys are all gone, then Neil Pionk needs to be owned. I think um, if we're going to compare him to Vince Dunn and Colton Pareko, like we need to like admit that he's like his peripherals are good enough to you know put him with the Colton Parekos, and his production so far has been higher than Colton Pareko. He's been like closer to the Vince Dunn where he's he looks like he can for sure put up 40 points on a Rangers team that's definitely going to have their stops and starts. Um, I'm a little shocked to not hear Jade take this opportunity to say hashtag Neil for Norris because she's been a huge Neil lover and I've been the Neil hater. Uh, it's a, it's a seven-day situation here, Ben. Yes, this is Freaky Sunday because I think like – I think Neil has like a really high seat or really high floor. Rather, I was really skeptical when the hype began after like, I think he got six power play points over three games or something. And he was just, he had three games in particular where he was just a stud. And I thought that hype was really overblown, but I think I was wrong originally. I think he's very rosterable because of that floor. And as far as points go, I think he's going to produce enough to give you, you know, four, four fantasy points a game roughly in our format, which is, you know, equal to one assist and two shots, or I probably shouldn't get too in the weeds about the specific scoring, but I just think, I just think he's a very useful player. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Not, not useless. Lewis, did you, uh, did you have something to pipe in here on Neil? I was was just going to say, how high do you think Pionk will go next year? If Jade gets her fantasy Rangers lineup with Panarin, uh, Sagan and Ben, I'll uh, <laughs> fill up that top six. What do you what think, about, Jade? Don't forget Kovalchuk. Oh, yeah, yeah. well. No, hmm. no, not Kovalchuk. Uh, Tarasenko. Oh, well, what, yeah. why not both? Eh, Kovalchuk is old news, you know? He's washed up. <laughs> Kovalchuk can be like the the Patrick Marlowe of the Rangers next year. Oh, like uh, Kravtsov can go and live with him, but he'll probably be a healthy scratch. Tarasenko will take that, that wing spot. Yeah, and I, I didn't even mention that Eric Carlson's going to be playing defense, so... That's obviously going to hurt Pionk's stock because he'll be the clear uh, power play two guy. Um, But, you know, if he has the chance to just pass it to any one of those fantastic players in their top 16, then he should be golden for at least 40. And how good is that power play two going to be? You know, like that's going to be as good as any other team's power play one. That's so true. Yeah. In a keeper, add Pionk now. This is a different brand of fantasy hockey than we generally cover. Uh, but I, I wish all New York Rangers fans their their best dreamiest lineups. Ben, um, can you uh, break out the tea leaves to predict the future here? This is this is real. Are there tea leaves? What's that? Oh my god! I can't believe he just dropped the ball on this in a live show. <laughs> We're He's not like going a numerology back. expert, and he doesn't even know how to read. Oh, you leaves. well, you already predicted the future. I'm with you on your oh, fantasy Rangers squad. Okay. Well, Panarin is number nine in Columbus, and Carlson is sixty-five. So six plus five is eleven. Minus, I'm not. I can't go any further. Brian uh, Leach, Brian Leach, retired number two <laughs> yeah. for the Rangers. Who was seen We're walking Carlson past? And Panarin. He was seen walking past Madison Square Garden the other day. Um, okay, exactly. Uh, Marcus, uh, tell it. So we've got Meyer, Shabbat, Pionk as three guys who were drafted at a much better value than they would possibly be drafted if uh, if anybody knew what was going to happen. Uh, who are the other? Give me the other two big ones, and then we'll run through the honorable mentions. Okay, so number four uh, is Craig Anderson uh, of the Ottawa Senators. 
in most fantasy formats, I would say he stinks probably. Um, his goals against average is average. Um, his save percentage, uh, sorry, his goals against average is, is extremely low, extremely poor. Um, his save percentage is average. Um, he was drafted in 73% of Kukupful divisions at an average pick of 214, um, but he's currently the fourth ranked goalie in the Kukupful format, um, mainly because of the workload he faces every single night and the amount of games that he plays. Um, so he is really, really valuable compared to where he was he was uh, picked on average. Uh, and the last guy is uh, Zach Parise, um, somewhat of a resurgence this year at his age. Uh, Minnesota Wild left winger uh, drafted in 53% of the Kukupful divisions at an average pick of 225 and he is currently ranked 52nd overall in Yahoo. Yeah, Zach Parisi is a guy that I have drafted like in the last round of like the last three seasons I've played in several of my leagues and this is the year it paid off. I'm actually surprised I even did it um, but I did and he's doing great. So uh, and He's doing great because he's finally off the third line, off of like barely uh, being a, a, an element on the power play. So he's there. And Craig Anderson is up there because we're talking about Kukupful stats and Kukupful stats uh, reward saves. And nobody has made more saves this year than Craig Anderson, which is incredible because nobody has also let in more goals this year than Craig Anderson. He's given up 104 goals in 31 games. Uh, Next is Marc-Andre Fleury with 90 goals against, although that's in 35 games. Uh, Carey Price uh, is the closest comparable in games played, and Jake Allen, they've both given up 83 goals in 30 games. So Craig Anderson just hemorrhaging goals. However, He's got a better save percentage than Carey Price and Jake Allen because of all the shots he's facing. He's still mentioned 905 save percentage, which is just below league average, um, which is like really just incredible given uh, the monumental gargantuan task of playing goaltender for the Ottawa Senators. Um, We mentioned last week uh, when he got injured that uh, kind of in trouble because uh, uh, the Senators are in trouble because he was concussed and uh, and Elon asked if McKenna or Hogberg were the best replacements. And my answer was neither. And so far that has been the case, although they have had some difficult competition. So uh, we'll see how that continues to play out, but I would be very scared in leagues where goals against hurt you in any way uh, to roster either of the senators goalies. Um, Marcus, you've got some honorable mentions. These are actually, this is a really interesting list that you've got here. Cause these are guys who were drafted like, Timo Meyer, Shabbat, Pionk, Parisi, Craig Anderson, all drafted like really on the late end of their drafts and should have been drafted in the middle to front end for some of them. And these guys that you're about to mention are were more drafted in the middle end, but deserve to be in the front end. Yeah. Um, so the first of the honorable mentions is Mark Stone. Um, I actually picked him up in Kukupful uh, of free agency, which I was extremely happy with. What? Ranked... Yeah. How? Early, early on. What I like, I need to bring up Mark Stone's game log now to try and understand what he could have possibly been doing. I mean, I know Actually, a lot of, yeah. it could have been a different league, but I definitely picked him up for nothing. Okay, um, well, like he had three points in his first five games and has been like over a point per game player since then. So someone really had him on the short leash. He he did go pointless in Ottawa's first game of the season, so maybe that was enough. <laughs> Yeah, his average draft pick in uh, Kukupful was 131, um, and his current rank is 22. So that's amazing. Well. Mark Stone is amazing. Yeah, and next guy, uh, the same position, Cam Atkinson. 
Um, I'm not going to dwell too much on these guys. Uh, Dylan Larkin uh, is another honourable mention, and Elias Lindholm um, was the fourth. Okay, so we have Stone, Atkinson, Larkin, Lindholm, all guys who are like, will they or won't they? And they all have to an incredible degree. Uh, so good good on anybody who believed in those guys and got them uh, definitely for lower value than they'll be available for in, uh, in the rest of in next year's drafts. Okay, um, quick NHL news and notes. We'll do a, like a little round table here. This is going to be the most Keeping Carlson-ish part of this show. So anybody who's missing the usual format, soak this in. First, uh, brief NHL news and note. Uh, in Colorado, Gabriel Landeskog off the top line. Last week, Elon, uh, Elon and I were talking about third wheels in the NHL. And we sort of, I can't remember which one of us mentioned Gabriel Landeskog is the third piece. And we were wondering, like, I don't, like how good is he? Uh, like, we believed in him, but he sort of came up on someone who wasn't quite as good as the two guys dominating on the rest of their line. Um, so Landeskog is now off of the top line. Latest word is that Tyson Jost is going to be, uh, or at least was practicing on the top line with McKinnon and Rantanen. So that could be a really great opportunity for anyone to jump on. I think Matt Nieto spent a game on there. Um, and uh, while he was there, I mean, obviously he did not make enough of an impression to get to hold that spot. Uh, let's see. He had one shot. So, and a minus one. So he didn't do very much there. So we'll see if Tyson Jost, who, uh, we, we essentially on the Almanac said like he's a work in progress, like he's got some pedigree, um, like, but he's going to need some deployment and some time. So he's getting the deployment and we'll see if he's had enough time to really uh, develop. Uh, Michael in the chat is adding that the Avalanche also lost. So maybe that's why they're shuffling their lines again. Uh, anybody want to chime in on what they think the Landeskog owners should expect or do with Landeskog? Should he remain uh... off the top line? Yeah, I think that they should. I think he'll probably end up back around that top line. I don't see that sticking for too long just because they've been so successful for so long. We've seen Boston toy with breaking up that top line in the past as well, putting Pasternak on a second line to try and spread around the scoring. I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea, but I think regardless, it's prudent to kind of keep your ear out for sell-high options for Landeskog. Uh, not because I think he's going to stick off that top line for so long, but just that he's shooting about 9% above his career average. He's already three power points away from hitting three power play points away from hitting his career high. I just, and he hasn't had a full season since 2015. So I just think a player who's trending towards 90 points at this point of the season is worth, you know, keeping your ear out. What can you get for Gabriel Landeskog? Um, Obviously, his percentages are a little high, but you're counting on so many people maintaining high percentages to keep Landeskog producing, whereas McKinnon and Rantanen, they kind of do the work on their own. And then with Landeskog, you're just hoping he can keep getting in on their goals at such a high rate. So if I can get, you know, right now he's on pace for about 93 points, I think. If I can get an 80-point player for Gabriel Landeskog, I'm doing it today. Yeah, that's a really good point, uh, Ben, because Landeskog, like if anyone's wondering, well, sell high, how can I sell high in Landeskog? Uh, if you own him, hopefully you know he's on a 93-point pace so far, and that's in large thanks to 24 goals he's scored this year. Um, and like you mentioned, Ben, 20% shooting success rate. So he's probably scored a few more goals than he should have. And if he's bouncing around the lineup, 
Um, maybe you don't like, I feel like if the abs want to contend, like this is what we're seeing. Like they're like, Oh, like maybe we're going to need more than one line and they might try a couple different iterations. I don't know if they would dare actually break up McKinnon and Rontanen, but Landis Gog seems uh, like a guy that they're hoping they can move around the lineup and help other, uh, other guys score. But like, if he's not on the top line, he's not in great shape either. Uh, like in their last game, he was playing with Alexander Kerfoot and JT Comfer, who like are essentially the next best players to be playing with in Colorado. So it's not surprising that if Colorado has any playoff aspirations, they're going to try and uh, give give some more depth to their lineup and not be such a one-line team. But maybe it's not a problem when that one line is just insane. It kind of reminds me, um, Ottawa in the playoffs, uh, the last time they were in and they got to the conference finals game seven against Pittsburgh, it was the Eric Carlson show. And like the Sen strategy was essentially dominate when Carlson is on the ice, survive the rest of the time. And I wonder if that might be the more prudent strategy for Colorado rather than, uh, you know, uh, mixing and matching lines. Uh, okay. What else has happened in the NHL this last week? Uh, Carrie Price is injured, um, which is not great for anybody who owned him, even though he hasn't been great for you. A 904 save percentage record of 15 uh, 10, 15 wins, 10 losses, and four overtime losses. Uh, we don't know how long he'll be out for, but it looks like it could be a while. Like the, the note I'm seeing from, uh, what's the source here? Uh, oh, from the Canadians themselves. Uh, they hoped he'd get some rest over the winter break. Uh, it didn't help. And if anything, it got worse. And then he didn't practice. So in the meantime, uh, we don't know yet if this is day-to-day or week-to-week or a longer thing. Uh, meanwhile, Antti Niemi is going to be the starting goalie for the Montreal Canadiens, like, which isn't as bad as it would, which doesn't sound as bad today as it would have sounded uh, at the start of the season. Does anybody here have any interest in Antti Niemi as a, as a free agent at? Uh, I do not. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it is worth pointing out that we have a big miss from Elon, his prediction that Niami would be out of the NHL. He's still hanging around and not playing like the most horrible goalie in the league. No, I mean, it, you, okay, I'll, I'll sort of give you that, Lewis. He, he put up a, he stopped 26 of 32 shots against Tampa, which is like, let's just not count games against Tampa. Um, yes. But uh, over the season, 10 games, 870 save percentage, uh, he's started 10 games. Only one of those starts has been a quality start. It was uh, against Buffalo. He stopped 37 of 40 in an overtime loss and put up a 925 save percentage. Outside of that game, um, he has one other save percentage above 900. It was also at Buffalo. He loves playing Buffalo. Uh, stopped a 90.5% of the shots he faced. And then every other of his one of, every other one of his eight appearances uh, has been below 900. So I don't know that Elon is totally out on his projection yet, but I, I agree that there's little reason to want Auntie Niemi. Yeah, that's worse than I thought. Wrap the segment. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, how about Justin Bufflin uh, going on surprise IR today? Didn't see this coming. Although the note I'm reading is that, um, well, that he's going to be out for four weeks uh, at least. And so this must mean that uh, it's time for Josh Morrissey to consistently strut his stuff 
on the top power play. And it's unfortunate that he had this little run before Bufflin's injury because it caught everyone's attention. And everyone's like, oh, I got to get this guy on my roster. And, but like, it wasn't like peak time to own Josh Morrissey. He was doing well, but he was, but it hasn't been long enough since then for anyone who jumped on him to drop him. It feels like, it feels like he's still owned from that run in a lot of leagues and whoever still owns him just lucked in to the top power play quarterback in Winnipeg for the foreseeable future. I mean, I tweeted on Twitter, uh, obviously I don't tweet whatever. Um, uh, that we already figured Josh Morrissey was the heir apparent to take the top power play role in Winnipeg soon, but with Bufflin out, how soon is now? Anyway, uh, I, <laughs> I, I, does anyone else think that he is going to be the guy uh, to join? Uh, like, is there any other competition in Winnipeg for that top power play spot? I mean, maybe they'll give Tyler Myers a chance, but I don't see why or that that would stick. Um, but yeah, Brian, I feel completely the same way. And I actually woke up in a very angry mood this morning thinking about it and double checking to see that Josh Morrissey was in fact still owned um, in my leagues. And yeah, I remember talking to Ben and Lewis about him a couple of weeks ago saying, I don't really understand where all this Josh Morrissey is coming from when Bufflin was healthy. Like he did well when Bufflin was hurt before uh, Bufflin came back, Morrissey went back and, you know, I didn't see any reason for him to. Um, continue doing what he had been doing. And I kind of laughed at these people who ha- were still holding on to him and who bid a lot of fab on him in my couple division. And now they're laughing at me as I am left out of the Josh Morrissey ownership group. Um, yeah, Josh, Josh Morrissey is owned in 100% of the couple league. So save yourself some time. Don't, don't bother trying to add him if you think he might be free. Okay. So yeah, Josh Morrissey like seems like the guy, uh, the other candidates are uh well tyler myers as you said jade uh elon would say it's time for jacob truba to finally strut his stuff except i think he he might have finally realized that jacob truba is not meant to be an offensive defenseman maybe he's capable every so often but he's not uh i don't think he has priority over josh morrissey for this position the other name being thrown out there is sammy niku and alex in the chat just mentioned him um uh, he's had an okay season so far uh this is his first Sorry, second full pro season in the NHL. If anyone doesn't know who Sammy Niku is, uh, he's a native of Finland who uh, was drafted in the seventh round, 198th overall in 2015. But he is a Jets defense prospect with some upside. He's still just 22 years old. In his first North American season, he had 54 points, 16 goals, 38 assists, in 76 AHL games with Manitoba. Uh, This year hasn't managed to keep that pace up over the first part of the season where uh, he's had eight points in 16 games with Manitoba of the AHL. But uh, we'll see. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I know it's exciting that he could get a look with Bufflin out, but I feel like it's like, especially with Josh Morrissey just recently having produced um, that Sammy Niku has to be the, like the, the, I don't know, second or third runner up to step in there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Lewis. Oh, I was going to say, just to get some Elon in here, would you take Pionk or Morrissey? <laughs> oh, Elon, thanks you. Um, that's a really good one. I think I would take Josh Morrissey. Weren't the Rangers, like, the reason Pionk wasn't seeing so much power play time, weren't the Rangers running, like, five forwards for a little bit, too? So, like, I, I don't know that Pionk has really added a whole lot. I see... Like, if I'm looking at Pionk with three points, what was it, in his last 14 games? Or was it 11? Whatever it was. Or four, 
it wasn't great. I'm sorry, I don't have the numbers still in front of me. Um, versus the upside of Morrissey playing on that loaded top power play unit in Winnipeg, I'm going Morrissey. Anyone else? That would be my pick too. Yeah, same. Give me Pionk for that long, that season long upside. Oh my God, okay. I love this Ben loving Neil Pionk situation. It's amazing. Ben taking a long view. Marcus, what would uh, what would you do if you had the the choice in your cupful division? Um, I've streamed both in this year, so I guess it will come down to schedules and how my team is looking for the week. Uh, uh, there's not much between them for me. Um, yeah. Possibly Morrissey if I had to be, be pushed. If Elon was pushing you to make a choice, that's who you would pick. Yeah. Uh, and then one other uh, power play one spot opening up this week, thanks to injury. In Ottawa, Thomas Shabbat uh, took a hit from Matt Martin. Uh, I don't, like, they're calling it an upper body injury. Uh, we don't have much more specific to go on uh, than that. But uh, he's going to be out, it looks like, at least three weeks. And you look at who the possible replacements are. On the center, it's like, okay, well, uh, this must mean there's an opportunity for somebody to step in on that top power play unit. Um, okay, Cody Cece, huh? Dylan DeMello, uh, Mark Bovietsky, definitely not, although Guy Boucher has done weirder things. And then you've got Ben Harpour, Stefan Elliott, Christian Wolan. And like, what is this decor? I, is like Maxime Lajoie. Um, neither of these guys, I don't know. Do, do these names jump out at anybody? As, as someone anyone here wants to roster and be like, well, they still get to play with Duchesne and Stone on the top power play. Um, anyone? Yeah, I think you keep an eye on them if you're trying to stream people in. I'm not picking any of these guys up for a long-term solution, but you know, if you get that slot and you can score a couple points, that's a great setup for you. Yeah, okay. I'd be keeping my eye on it as well. Just wait a game or two, see if anyone surfaces, and then they're worth a shot. I agree with Lewis. Okay, I'm just trying to pull up the last game lines for Ottawa because I can I vamp while you do that. Can uh, vamp? Yeah, just fill some space. Okay. I just thought it was really valuable that we should consider a situation where Winnipeg picks up Brendan and Riley, and you can have Morrissey playing with the Smiths. It would be beautiful. (laughs) Yes. Wow. It would be. Yeah, that's the way it needs to be. If only Peter Chiarelli was GM of Winnipeg, I feel like that could be a, a possible thing. Although I don't know how he would swing Riley Smith. Didn't he trade? He trade. He actually he already has acquired Riley Smith in his career in the Tyler Sagan deal. Yeah, it's not far That's off. Double dip. <laughs> um, okay. Other news and notes. And oh, right, I was bringing up the Ottawa power play line. So um, uh, last game, Maxime Lajoie and Cody CC shared top power play duties uh, as the Sens ran uh, a 3-4-2 defenseman setup with uh, Stone, Kachuk, and White on the top line. They also did try a four-forward setup, and Lejoie was the lone guy on the blue line. Uh, next news note, uh, a couple guys who have returned some outjuries. Victor Arvidsson in Nashville, that's fantastic. Uh, P.K. Subban, also back in Nashville. Uh, Petrangelo, also back. Uh, but not in Nashville, in St. Louis, although we talked about him and how his deployment uh, is not re- like bringing him back to the top power play unit. Nashville's last game lines uh, with Arvidsson back in the lineup. Uh, Arvidsson played with uh, Rocco Grimaldi and Ryan Johansson for most of the game. 
so like we're really just waiting on Philip Forsberg to get back and stop having random Ryan Hartmans and Rocco Grimaldi's on that top line. Uh, P.K. Subban stepped in uh, alongside his defense partner, Matthias Eggholm, and also uh, did that at even strength and on the power play. Uh, so, although it looks like that's still the second power play unit, they just happen to play more time because of line change situations. Um, uh, let's see. Other news and notes. Elon's so good at these. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood and Colin. Oh, God. Does anyone know how to say this guy's last name? Delia? Delia? Hey there, Colin Delia. <laughs> hey there, Colin Delia. Uh, both of them just destroying it in their NHL, uh, well, like, appearances, emergences. And I guess the question is, how long can either of these guys keep this up? Uh, Colin Delia uh, has had a sparkling two games, uh, three games, if you go back to December 21st. He's played three of the last four for Chicago, and he has given up uh, only five goals on uh, a lot of shots. <laughs> Chicago is not great at stopping shots. He actually stopped 46 of 48 against Minnesota. Um, and uh, he's got a season uh, not, 957 save percentage. So way to go for him. Last year, he did see a little action. He saw 100 minutes with an 889 save percentage, which is why, like, I'm always just a little reticent to get on these guys. And Elon has added both Delia and Blackwood in like every pool he's in um, just because he's, he's happy to like take the plunge and hope it sticks um, versus me. And I'm like, ah, I'd like to see it stick and then I'll take the plunge at which point it's too late. uh, But I don't have to sacrifice the guy in the meantime, two different philosophies here. Um, But Blackwood for his part uh, is put up a 956 save percentage in five appearances so far this year including um, four appearances uh, going back to December 20th, in which he has just been stellar, 947 save percentage. Uh, then he came in for Keith Kincaid, stopped nine of nine, uh, then a 952, stopped 40 of 42 against Boston, and then stopped all 37 at home to Carolina uh, on Saturday. So Mackenzie Blackwood, Colin Delia, uh, does anybody have a preference between these guys or both or neither? Can I just all oh, sorry, Marcus, you go ahead first. Can I just put in there and say, um, over the last seven days on Yahoo, these are the top five, five or six, let's say, um, performing goaltenders in the cupful format. Wait till you hear this for a list of uh, who are they goaltenders. Mackenzie Blackwood, uh, Anton Hudobin, fair enough, Colin Delia or Delia, James Reimer, back up in Florida, Garrett Sparks, Malcolm Subban, Phoenix Copley, Mike Michael Neuvert, Aiden Hill, Kyle Peterson, Chad Johnson, Junus Corpusalo. That is, that's where the league is at now. These are the top performing goaltenders in the last seven days. That is wild. It it really is, and it just shows like there are like half of those guys we wouldn't have even expected to see an NHL minute this year, and and there they are. Um, what were you saying, average time on ice crew about Delia versus Blackwood? I'll take Delia. Um, I just think that the Hawks. Man, I feel silly saying this after the season, the last two years, but like I just think they have a little bit of a higher upside if they could nail down their goaltending. Um, but I mean, honestly, who knows? You're really just taking the plunge with either one and hoping that somebody sticks it out for longer. You just don't know with goaltenders anymore. Uh, I was going to say I'm all in on Mackenzie Blackwood because in probably my most brilliant 
move ever. Um, I streamed him in before his game yesterday where he got the shutout. So now he's forever in my heart. Um, but when we're looking ahead, I actually think they're exactly in the same tier for me. Um, I know Ben, like somehow for some reason loves the Blackhawks. Um, I think they're just as not good as New Jersey. Um, so I would just go with schedule. If they're both available, you know, same tier for me. All right. And while we're on the subject of goalies, uh, how about we head over to Pittsburgh just for a minute where Matt Murray is setting the world on fire since coming back from his injury. He's played five times, has given up three goals in his first game back, then one goal in the next game, then none with a shutout, then two goals against, then one goal against. Uh, All of that adds up to 165 saves on 172 shots for a 959 save percentage over five games after returning from injury or vacation or whatever he was up to. It like it worked. He needed whatever recovery he got. Uh, not to doubt that he was actually injured. It's a little like running joke on the show that these players just take vacation when they're not doing well and then come back and do great because uh, they relax. Um, last week on the show, I was like, ah, let's see if Matt Murray can keep this up. Uh, hold your Casey DeSmiths for now. Um, peanut gallery. I shouldn't call you peanut gallery. You guys are better than the peanut gallery. Uh, group round table. Anyone here holding Casey DeSmith still? And Marcus, I don't know if you're able to pull it up. Maybe we'll let the A2I crew chime in first. But if you're able to pull up a couple ownership for Casey DeSmith, I'd be curious to know uh, once they share their thoughts. I just dropped him in two leagues, uh, including Sweden Tier 1, to pick up Robin Leonard. So I am saying bye-bye to DeSmith. Okay. I'm I'm allergic to peanuts, so I appreciate you differentiating there. That means a lot to me, Brian. Um, gallery. Yeah, thank you. Almonds are okay too. Um, yeah, I'm. I still have the Smith in a league because I have the roster space. But in the end, uh, I'm cycling through goalies as quickly as I can this year with the way that they're just their results are basically arbitrary. Okay, so so the Smith, nobody's feel, like I'm not feeling him either. Right now, to be perfectly honest, as long as Matt Murray is great, of course, there's a chance that Murray's going to falter, and then you pick up the Smith. But I don't think you need to hold him while Matt Murray's playing so lights out. Uh, Marcus, what did you find? Yeah, he's only available in one Kukupful division. So uh... Okay, so I'm going to be very interested to track that over the next week or two, because as we know, Kukupful owners are the smartest owners out there, and uh, so we'll see what they, what the, the, uh, 14 remaining Casey DeSmith owners in Kukupful decide to do with him over the next week or two. Um, and that, that concludes our news and notes. So how about we head to a little bit of a lightning round um, here, Mark, because you're going to rhyme off some guys. Um, we're going to go top three players at each position in the Kukupful. Again, if you want to know our scoring scheme in the Kukupful, uh, keepingcarlson.com slash KKUPFL. Um, and you'll see the whole scheme laid out for you right there. Um, if anybody does not want to go to that trouble or can't right now while they're listening, just to give you a sense of how the scoring works in the Kukupful, of course we prioritize goals the most uh, and then assists, but if you want to know the exact point weightings, uh, I can share those with you. So uh, first up, a goal is worth four and a half points, assists are worth three, a shot on goal is worth a half point, 
Picks are worth a quarter of a point. Blocks are worth a half a point. Short-handed points are worth a point. And then uh, goalie categories, you get two points for a win. So it's not as rewarding as in most leagues, which is why Craig Anderson is doing so well. Um, you get uh, 0.35 points for a save, negative uh, two for a, goals against, for a goal against. So essentially, if you stop six of seven, you're at roughly zero uh, for a goalie. And you get a bonus point uh, if your goalie gets a shutout. So knowing that, Marcus, who are the top three goalies in the Kakapful so far this season? Uh, number three, Mark Andre Fleury, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, has 179.2 points. Uh, number two, Frederick Anderson of Toronto, um, quite a distance ahead of Fleury at 204.85 points, and marginally ahead of Frederick Anderson at number one. Um, you guys pretty much called it at the start of the season. John Gibson, 208.3 points, um, uh, 2.61 goals against average, and a 9.24 save percentage, one of the best in the league. So Gibson and Anderson uh, are obviously facing a lot of shots against, which is like the big thing. And they're holding really good save percentages and not getting a lot of minuses for goals against. So uh, so good on them. Good on you if you drafted those two guys who are way ahead of the pack in goalie points in the Kakupful. Uh Marcus, who are the top three defensemen in the Kakupful so far this year? Uh, number three, uh, Brent Burns, 225 points for the San Jose Sharks. No great surprise there. He was drafted generally quite high, and he's he's solid. He's consistent year in, year out. Um, ahead of him, not as expected, Thomas Shabbat, uh, just 0.25 of a point ahead of him. Um, and number one, again, not quite as expected, Morgan Riley, uh, a good distance out in the lead at 239.75 points uh, for Toronto. Okay, so, and somebody making a run lately, thanks to a four-point night, Eric Carlson is now on a nine-game point streak. Started off slow. He now has one goal and 13 assists for 14 points in his last nine games. Uh, 42 shots in that time, pair of power play points. So he's coming on strong, but this wasn't about him, Marcus. It was, this was about Morgan Riley and Thomas Shabbat. Uh, probably not one of the first, well, Shabbat we know wasn't one of the first like 10 uh, D-men drafted. Morgan Raleigh might not have been one of the first 15 defensemen drafted in a lot of these drafts, and he is leading all defensemen in a couple points. Honorable mention to Mark Giordano and Chris Letang. Uh, Chris Letang staying healthy, good for him. Mark Giordano staying, uh, keeping, staying young, more or less, uh, with uh, honestly having a banner year, and as we've mentioned on the show, and I, I feel like I got him about right in the almanac. I don't expect a whole lot of slowdown from Mark Giordano. Uh, okay, next up, best left wingers to date in the Kukupful. Yep, number three, uh, Calgary, Johnny Goudreau. Very, very little peripherals for him. It's all just about points, um, points and shots. Uh, so he has 247 Kukupful points. Uh, number two, uh, you mentioned him earlier in the show. We talked about him a little bit. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog, 254.25 points. And way out in front, as always, every year, year in, year out, possibly on for one of the best years of his career, certainly the best year of uh, the last few years, Alex Ovechkin. I don't know how the guy does it. He drinks Dr. Pepper on the bench. He parties all summer and lies in fountains after winning <laughs> the cup. And he's 35, 34, 35 points ahead of the next uh, closest left wing. He's just unbelievable. You know, Marcus, I'm glad you made that point because I feel like if he struggled this year, it would have been like... I, can you imagine how awful the reaction towards Ovechkin 
would have been like oh this guy spent his summer partying like you know some people we get we we cut a little slack for a stanley cup hangover but like this is a stanley cup hangover so i'm actually relieved to some extent that he is still performing so nobody can give such a lazy half-butted take there you go elon that's for you jade, uh, about jade. alex ovechkin's year and party actually jade actually uh made some good points about him in in her uh blog today um, and a couple of funny videos of him from during the summer. I don't know how he is still going. It's like it's like the more he does to his body, the better he gets. He's unbelievable. Yeah, if you want to relive Alex Ovechkin's summer, and why wouldn't you? Uh, Jade over at the Average Time on Ice blog has done a fantastic job of compiling compiling the best moments that are up there. Oh, Jade, Jade was pointing, but just like yeah, I thought she wanted to say something. Okay. Oh, oh. Sarah's just waving. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> next up, uh, top three right wings in the Cup full. Marcus, who do we have? Uh, number three, Patrick Kane. Again, another steady guy. He's been there for years. Um, not a whole lot to say about him. Uh, number two, um, a little bit of a surprise and one of the best players in the league this year, for sure. Um, led the league for points for quite a while now. Uh, Miko Rantanen, Colorado Avalanche. Uh, himself, Landis Gog and McKinnon for most of the season have been incredible together. Um, he had uh, no points in his first season in the NHL had a 42 point season the following year then an 85 point pace and now he's on for I think 120 something he just throws an extra 40 points on every year I don't, it's crazy he's really 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 impressive this year um, but the number one and a guy who was on fire in the second quarter of the season Nikita Kucherov of Tampa Bay Lightning had a slow start by his recent standards but really turned things on he's averaging over two points a game over his last 19 games on pace for 132 points um, and potentially uh, a scoring title okay oh, so uh, sorry a, a points total, points title yeah, yeah, and not, I mean, maybe Rantanen's a surprise there. Uh, David Pasternak just outside the top three, and those four are, like, way ahead of the pack. The next highest player uh, is Mitch Marner, who's about 20 points back of Pasternak, which is more than the difference between Pasternak in fourth place and Kucherov in first place. So uh, Mitch Marner doing great, but uh, still not quite with the front of the pack here. Uh, okay, top three centers in the cup poll so far. Yeah, all um, three young, exciting new centres. Um, number three is Connor McDavid. He, obviously on a fairly struggling Oilers team, hasn't really fulfilled his massive potential, but uh, he's still carrying the team. He's narrowly missed out on the overall top five. He's, he's number three in the centres. Um, number two, another young uh, upstart, Jack Eichel, the Buffalo Sabres. And at number one, Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, we mentioned that line, that incredible line in Colorado uh, with himself, Landis Gog and Ranton, and they've just set the world on fire so far. So he's our number one. So how about that? Like, uh, there's a Colorado Avalanche have the second best left winger in our format, the second best right winger, and the best center, which just shows like how dominant that line is. I know any week uh, there's one player, one guy in Sweden who owns. Uh, two-thirds of that line I can't remember which two-thirds it is but like I feel hopeless when I'm up against him like there's nothing I can do about it and then I just played someone with the the other like the, who owns the third piece of that line and uh I think I also lost because of their production so you never want to be going up against anybody relying on uh, uh like who, who can count on these avalanche players um so I'm just gonna do a quick summary overall all positions because we get a lot of questions about uh, like, uh, do I want centermen, left wingers, right wingers? Uh, this list won't really help you answer. But Marcus, 
helpfully compiled our top five overall Kakupful scorers so far this year. If you own these guys, uh, you're feeling really good about it. Marcus, do you want to lay them out for us? Yep, yeah, number five, uh, Jack Eichel of the Buffalo Sabres, having a great year so far. Uh, number four, Miko Rantanen, the aforementioned uh, Miko Rantanen, uh, right winger, Colorado Avalanche. Number three, Nikita Kucherov, another right winger uh, with Tampa Bay. Number two, Alex Ovechkin, um, pacing for his first 100-point season uh, in nine, ten years, I think. Um, same goal pace as his first season where he scored 65 goals. Uh, and number one, um, he was the leading centre in the last category. Uh, so it's Nathan McKinnon uh, leading the league in shots as well as everything else. And he's on pace for 122 points. He's, he's quite a distance ahead of uh, the second ranked uh, Alex Ovechkin. Wow. Nathan McKinnon just like running away with the Cup full scoring title so far. Um, OK, we're running a little over time. Uh, Marcus and Average Time on Ice Crew, you guys all still good to hang around for another like 10 minutes? Yeah, I'm seeing thumbs up. Great. Okay. Um, quickly, uh, Marcus, you uh, compiled some of the top peripheral performers in the Kikup Full so far. So these are guys, like, even if you're not in the Kikup Full, if your league counts uh, hits, blocks, shots, um, you know, I'm going to say two of these four might be available and helpful to you because the other two are likely not going to be. Uh, Marcus, do you want to start with the two that likely aren't, like, are already spoken for? Yeah, so the guys who are probably gone, I'm guessing you're thinking Rasmus Ristolainen and, and Alexander Edler. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're both 100% owned in fantasy in, in Kukupal. Uh, Ristolainen, um, 32% of his fantasy points have come from his hits and blocks this year. He's on a 53-point pace. He, he's a must-own in pretty much every format of uh, fantasy hockey. Um, Edler, he's so reliable when he's not injured. Unfortunately, he does get injured quite a lot. Um I named my Kukupful team after him. He's uh, he's one of my favourite fantasy guys. He's just so reliable. Um, he was drafted in and is owned in 100% of Kukupful divisions and uh, he leads the league in blocks at 3.1 blocks per game. And he's play- playing at a 50-point pace, which is nice to have. Yeah, that was a really good call like for, by Elon at the start of the season, saying that, hey, the Vancouver power play this year could be dangerous and Alex Edler will be the guy. Uh, he's already not been healthy the whole season, but hopefully... It's just happy days ahead for him and the top unit in Vancouver um, where he can put up points alongside his peripherals. Um, So, Marcus, who are the two guys contributing peripherals who might still be available? Yeah, two guys um, who aren't fully owned in Kukupful. Number one, uh, William, is it Carrier or Carrier? Uh, He's a left wing, right wing for Vegas Golden Knights playing at the moment. Um, he leads the league by quite a distance in hits per game, so you can rely on him to be getting five hits a game, which is quite valuable in itself. He's also throwing in a few goals. Um, he's eight goals, which is his career high, uh, what's looking like his first full NHL season. Um, he's as reliable for hits as sunrise and sunset. He's, he's really, really valuable in that, in that category. Um, the other guy then, Brandon Tanev uh, of the Win- Winnipeg Jets, uh, again, left wing, left wing, right wing eligibility. He's only on a 28-point pace, but he's averaging 1.5 shots per game, two hits per game, a block per game. Um, he's a good streamer. I've had him a couple of times in a couple of leagues um, if the Winnipeg uh, schedule suits, so he's one to keep an eye on. Okay. How has Vegas, how has Vegas played 42 games, but like, weren't we just talking about another team that played like 35? Anyway, I- I shouldn't ask these questions if I don't have the answers readily handy. That's my uh, missing Elon uh, challenge to avoid. Um, so, yeah, William Carey, great guy. Like 207 hits in 42 games. If hits is a category for you, 
uh, he might be able to turn that category for you week in, week out. And Brandon Tanev seems to be a guy who is like capable of putting up a random point in addition to those hits. Mark, as you mentioned, 28-point pace um, has been a good stream, especially in leagues that count peripherals like the couple because like he'll offer you a solid baseline of like two points in a game thanks to his peripherals, like two fantasy points. And then maybe on top of that, he'll throw you, uh, he'll, he'll throw in a point every so often. Um, all right, we've got, uh, what do we have left? Okay, Marcus, let's jump to um, the best players available in the Kakupful who are less than 50% owned. So again, the Kakupful, a brilliant league full of brilliant uh, managers. And these guys are still available, which means in your league, especially a deep one, they might be available in yours. Um, Marcus, uh, name me. Well, first, I'm, I'm going to blow up your spot on one of them. Laurent Bossois is one of them, right? Uh, he's been amazing in every start he's gotten uh, averaging in our format. Like, just because he, he's not giving up a ton of goals when he starts, he's likely to get the two bonus points for a win. Um, but he's not someone you should own, right? Like, he's more of a stream. Yeah, so if Winnipeg have a back-to-back um, and you're desperate for points, he, he seems like a good guy to go to. He's won eight, of his, eight out of his ten games when uh, when backing up Connor Hellebuck this year. Averages 8.74 fantasy points uh, per game, which he's basically the best backup um, of, of all the backups in the league, um, where the guy is the clear backup. Okay, so yeah, so Lauren Bosson, kind of like uh, the Philip Grubauer of this year, if I dare say, except probably less chance of stealing the job. Um, how about you give me another guy, Marcus, who is mostly unowned in the Kukupful? Um Yeah, Anton Strahlman, um, who was out injured for a month um, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's owned in just one Kukupful division. Um, he's averaging 3.6 fantasy points per game, which is roughly, well, it's actually higher than uh, the likes of Gustus Bear, Falk, Hamilton, um, Jake Muzzin, Rasmus Dahlin, who are all 100% owned. Um, he missed five weeks. Uh, he returned in mid-December. He's a goal and three assists in his six games since returning, and he's averaging over two shots a game. He seems like a solid ad. Um, he won't show up in, in the overall rankings but because he missed those weeks, but he is uh, he's a reliable demon. Okay, so yeah, great. Like, it's hard to find a defenseman who's, like, I know 3.6 fantasy points per game is uh, not peanuts in my couple division. Uh, so a, a great guy to look at, uh, thanks to occasional points and uh, some peripherals. Like you mentioned, uh, uh, more than two shots per game. That's helpful. Uh, how about a couple, give us three forwards, Marcus, who are less than 50% owned and, and might be available in a lot of people's leagues. Yeah, number one, Alexander Steen of the St. Louis Blues. Um, he's only owned in 19% of the couple divisions. Averages 3.7 fantasy points per game. Um, 15 points in 28 games for a 44-point pace, and he's averaging over a hit and a block per game, just under two shots per game. Um, not setting the world alight by any means, but he's probably a fringe player, maybe a streamer, um, depending on, on how your lineup looks. Um, next guy was Frank Vetrano, who has the uh, the triple eligibility of centre, right wing and left wing, which is always valuable. Uh, he plays for the Florida Panthers. He's owned in 38% of Kukupful divisions. He averages 2.36 shots per game. Um, he has hit some blocks to boot. Um, only 15 points in 36 games, so 34-point pace. But his peripherals do pretty much make up for that. Um, 
The last guy then is Carl Soderberg. He's only owned in a quarter of the Cupful divisions. He was undrafted in every division, and he's currently ranked 142nd, which is quite a decent ranking. Um, he is a centre. There is an abundance of talent at centre. Um, he's on a 46-point pace. He's two shots per game, and he has one hit and three-quarters of a block per game. Um, 3.72 fantasy points per game. So he's not shy of the numbers of, say, Nazem Kadri, uh, who's 100% owned in Cupful. Um and Colorado have the added benefit of playing mostly on off days. So he's a nice third mm. centre to have. Um, and I think that's a really valuable uh, aspect to look at. Good point. I love, by the way, that for Frank Vitrano, you mentioned that he plays for Florida. Like, uh, isn't he on Boston still? Or like, where, where did he land? Uh, he landed in Florida. And uh, he's landed with some very good blind mates lately. Uh, who are they? He's playing most of the time over the last like five games or so with some mixture of Hoffman, Dadanov, and Henrik Borgstrom, uh, which is much better company than what he was keeping at the start of the year when he was playing uh, like on the third or maybe even fourth line. Now probably third line with Jared McCann and Dennis Malgin. Uh, so keep an eye on him. Uh, he also, before this spell, had some time with Trocek and Huberdeau. He's kind of like... Um, like, it kind of seemed like a Nick Bjugstad type where, like, we know he's not going to do a whole lot himself. But when he does get um, deployment, he's capable of throwing some pucks on net and has some good players with him that maybe he can uh, use to help pick up a point. Uh, okay, we are winding towards the end of this show. Um, Marcus, you just compiled a little bit of cuckupful trivia uh, and trends about, like, the cupful. So this is very league specific to the cupful, but I think it it paints a good picture of what our league is like. Do you want to like cherry pick one or two of these little pieces of trivia uh, and share them with the group before we sign off? Yeah. Um, one thing that was kind of being discussed a lot in the cupful uh, Facebook group was whether or not um, the, the scoring for goalies made it kind of more beneficial to drop your goalies and just go with extra skaters. Um, so I had a look at that today and it kind of looks like not really. Um, you're better off having your two goalies. Uh, it, it doesn't benefit you to drop them and go with extra skaters. The the goalie uh, scoring is is tough on people who are used to counting wins uh, quite heavily. Um, but the saves in the couple division are more valuable um, overall, more valuable than uh, than wins. Um so, yeah, I think saves are actually the fourth most valuable category. So the way it works is assists um, have worked out the most valuable based on the, the total number of fantasy points scored. Uh, assists followed by shots on goal, uh, then goals, then saves, blocks, hits, wins, shorthanded points, shutouts, and then obviously goals against uh, count against you. So they're the least valuable. Um, okay. Yeah. And one more? Do you have one more for us? Uh, yeah, sorry. There's one player... Who, Here's a, a little a little stat to go out on. There's one player drafted in every division who is now not owned in a single division. Um, James Neal. Oh, that stinks. 100% drafted, 0% owned. What's the opposite of real deal, James Neal? Um, I don't know. Um, hey, come on. Average <laughs> time on ice. This, this is your... This is They're the funny guys. Yeah. Get out of here, James Neal. <laughs> Not too much at once. Okay, we just have people shouting at James Neal now, which I think is the the rough equivalent of the opposite of real deal, James Neal. Marcus, um, this has been so much fun. We have some extra little trivia pieces that we'll share on the Cupful Zone Facebook group. 
um, with all like a couple participants. If you're wondering more, if you want to know more about the show, uh, you can like you can be a part of the good couple. You can still join a wait list to take over a team from somebody who, who has had to let go of their team uh, for one reason or another. Um, so you can do that by becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson. Not only by becoming a patron uh, of Keeping Carlson can you join the wait list, uh, but you can also get access to the patrons on the Facebook group, get an extra bonus episode once a month. You get access to every show's notes where we essentially have a script for what we talk about. So if you're like, oh, what would you say about this player? You can just like command F or control F it. Uh, uh, that sounded worse than I meant it to. Two episodes in a row. Uh, but you can find the player that we talked about, find what we had to say, uh, skip to the parts that you really want to know about. Of course, you'll miss the lovely sounds of Elon and I's voices, but you get extra time with our voices during the patron cast. You can also become a patron just because you like the show, just because you want to support us anyway. Uh, like it helps keep future episodes coming. So if this interests you, you can go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You can also leave us a five-star uh, review on iTunes, which is really very much appreciated. And uh, as appreciated are the appearances of, of you, Marcus. Let's start with you. Um, I just want to just give you a, a big thanks for all this work you did and all that you've been doing to compile and like make the cupful not just a league people play in, but like a league that has like news to read about. It's like it's like everything I could ever dream of in a fantasy league where I have it's almost like you're the beat writer for the cupful. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for all the work you do. Um, do you like, do you have a Twitter hand? Like, do you want to try and get uh, Like, do you want to share your Twitter handle or anything or? Uh, yeah, it was in the tweet that Keeping Carlson put out tonight. If anybody wants to click on it, I won't try and spell it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, thank, thanks to you guys. It's a really, really enjoyable league to be in. I'm hoping to be in it for many years to come. It's my first year in it and I'm leading my division. So obviously all the work that I'm putting in to, uh, to my beat writing has, has repaid itself. Um, that's, so that's great. I'm glad you got a little, a little humble brag in there you deserve it uh pat yourself on the back leading a couple division is not an easy thing to do which is what makes it all the more rewarding um average time on ice crew ben lewis jade thank you so much for being here uh ben you have anything to say before we say so long uh henrik lundquist is the champ philly (laughs) heat is next in line let's get it go rangers 2020 uh, beautiful. Jade, uh, you want to follow that up with anything? I mean, Ben said it so well. Um, thank you, Brian, for having us on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Follow us on Twitter at ABG Time on Ice and check out our blog, averagetimeonice.wordpress.com. Um, and oh. talk to us on Twitter. We're fun. We like to chat. Yeah, a great Twitter follow. Lots of like funny daily content. It's probably what you want the Keeping Carlson uh, account to be is what the average time on ice account is. Uh, Lewis lost his sound, but I'm going to count him in. Oh, no, he's going. He would say goodbye. I was going to get his fantasy Jeopardy. Um, Jeopardy is having like a fantasy league contest where you pick a captain and then two players for the upcoming, I think it's like for the uh, tournament of, for the all-star games coming up in February. Lewis, you're gone. You left me hanging. Um, he's too shook to fight you, Brian. Let's What's get uh, Matilda on here for the third <laughs> third of average time on ice. Oh here she is. She's um, getting over all of Lewis's duties. Um, man, Lewis, we we were so close. Okay, he was going to say something about Buzzy, which I'm sure will resonate with a large percentage of our listeners. Um, Lewis, can you hear me? 
No. Okay. Sorry, everybody. You'll have to uh, you'll have to follow the average time on ice Twitter account if you want to get Lewis's uh, fantasy Jeopardy picks. I'll probably share mine out at some point. How can you not go Ken Jennings as your captain, right? I and uh, and then the the player I know I want on my team is Alan Lynn, who uh, I don't know if Jeopardy watchers will remember, but he uh, like the whole time he was like on such a great run and he was in the tournament of champions, but every time he played, he was like angling for a job as a clue writer on Jeopardy. And I found that really endearing. Um, and then maybe the other person I would go for is Ken uh, Mueller, the college championship winner. That would be my Jeopardy fantasy team. Uh, anyway, I'm sure everyone is really pumped about that segment, including Elon. All right. That's it. We're closing out the show. We're going to hit that outro music. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read you the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carl the Fantasy the Ocean podcast was presented by, supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Simon N, John, Mike M, Jacob L, and honestly, everybody who is a patron, especially, and anyone who listens to the show is giving us a five-star five review on iTunes. Thank you so much for supporting the show and being here with us and for us. Elon and I thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We wish you all a happy new year and we uh, hope that uh, everybody has another year full of fantasy championships in their future and that we can help you along with that. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job, everybody. Great job, Average Time on Ice Crew. Once again, thank you to Marcus and Ben and Jade and Lewis. You guys crushed it. Uh, you can tweet at us at Keaton Carlson. If you have any feedback on the show, any questions, any time. And I think that'll do it. So until next time, uh, when Elon returns, we invite you to all, please, and why would you think of doing anything but keeping on keeping Carlson? Now's when Elon would express concern during Carlson's whole steps. But there's no reason to, because he's great. 